Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. Helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk. The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit WorldAfropedia.com, the African-centered encyclopedia a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. WorldAfropedia.com Context of white supremacy, Gus T. Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Wednesday, November 2nd, 2016. So I have been told... Uh, the broadcast for today, one of our listeners, a uh, listener, long time listener and investor, uh, he suggested uh, our guest for today's program. Uh, we are on very early, uh, but she suggested our guest based on a video segment where she was talking about teaching and how she had an experience with racism uh, while teaching at an international school in Uganda. Uh, really interesting segment. Uh, certainly we'll talk about that today. As I checked out the rest of her channel, uh, she had quite a few different videos uh, talking about her views on racism uh, and even how she has seen racism being on the other side of the globe uh, in Uganda. Uh, now, she was born in the United States, uh, I believe the Chicago area. Uh, she got an interest around 2010 uh, in educational opportunities abroad. Uh, she's spent some time in Costa Rica. I think she's been in Uganda for over a year now. Real pleasure to have her on the program, and I think she would underscore, uh, most importantly, she is a black mommy. Black mothers, super important. Uh, joining us live, uh, you can check out our YouTube channel as well as her website. It's linked in the description for the program. Joining us live from Uganda, uh, our guest, Miss Black Expat. Uh, Miss Black Expat, are you with us? I'm here. Thank you so much for that wonderful introduction. <laughs> for sure. <I'm> <laughs> you should be. Lots of great work. I encourage uh, listeners to uh, check out MissBlackExpat.com. You can visit the website. You'll see the link for the YouTube videos uh, right there. Or you can put in, uh, if you go to YouTube, put in Miss Black 
expat and her YouTube channel will come up. You can check out the content. Great material. We're going to try and cover as much as we can before uh, we have battery issues. Um, anything you think listeners should know about who you are, the work that you do before we get started? Sure. Um, well, I'm, I'm an elementary school teacher. I teach first grade and I've been teaching for about seven years now. And um, I started the, over, the, the overseas experience about four years ago. I was in the UAE. Um, I was in Al Ain, which is about an hour from Dubai. For What's about the UAE? Two years. The United Arab Emirates. So I taught there first before moving to Uganda. And it allowed me to get my feet wet in terms of working internationally and with an, enti- an entirely different culture and just, just that whole overseas experience. But it wasn't working out for me in terms of the job. And I just I just needed something different. And I wasn't ready to relocate back to the States quite yet. Um, I had been interested in working on the continent for quite some time, especially after my experience in the Middle East. And more specifically, I was looking at... West Africa. Um, I had applied to a couple of schools in Senegal, uh, Ghana, and um, I even tried a school in Mozambique. I know that's not in West Africa, but I was just making every effort I could to try to have a teaching opportunity um, somewhere in the, on the continent. And um, so I'd never heard back from any of those schools. I had my resume on searchassociates.com. So I started to apply for jobs back in the U.S. and I'd actually got a job offer, but I still just wasn't settled with that. So um, maybe about two weeks after that initial job offer from the States, I received a call from the current school that I'm at now asking for an interview and that they had seen my CV. And the interview obviously went well and they offered me the position and that's kind of how I landed here, but Uganda was not my first choice. <laughs> what was your first choice? My first choice would have been working. I I, I looked at, like I was saying, Senegal. I looked in um, Accra, and I tried a couple of places in um, in Asia, but I wasn't really keen to that. And then, like I said, in the U.S., but. Uganda, I hadn't really thought too much about it. I had some friends that were living, uh, that lived in the UAE that were Ugandan, and they would tell me so many stories about it, and I became interested, but I never, I never expected that I would live here. Wow. We, so. we are excited to talk about some of the uh, details of your experience and how that has impacted your view about racism globally. Uh, for our listeners also to know, uh, she is a trooper hanging in. They just had a major storm uh, over in Uganda and knocked out the power. And uh, she's hanging in tough uh, with the generator in tow. Uh, so we appreciate uh, her efforts this, uh, well, for her this evening, for me this morning. Um, for people who have not seen your channel, uh, YouTube, or seen some of your content uh, at your website, uh, you are a black female. Is that correct? That's correct. Right on. Lovely black female, I would add. Um, you use the term racism uh, in your writing. You have your blog at Miss blackexpat.com uh, then you have your YouTube channel as well 
uh, use the term racism, what do you mean? What is your definition when you use the term racism? Mm, I view it as when a group of people or an individual um, shows some type of hate or discourse toward another group of people or ind another individual in whatever way, whether it's verbally, um, indirectly, directly, um, maybe based on, of course, something to do with the color of their skin, uh, maybe from a, from a demographic um, or a socioeconomic status. Anytime the other person feels that they are in some way superior to that other group or individual that's um, and that is classified in regards to the color of their skin, or like I said, those other another demographic, another demographic, then it's to me considered racism. Okay, uh, is it is it possible for a black person to practice racism against a white person? Do you think that's possible? I believe so. Yes. Okay. Have you seen that happen before? A black person practice racism against a white person like can you think of a time where that happened yeah i mean i i, I see it all the time um yes it, i mean in terms of just expressing frustrations or um or you know a dislike towards something that you know that they, that they've done i mean i've seen i've seen it before that we as black people have had that, you know, level of frustration where it, you know, whether it's through verbal retaliation or um, physical or whatever, and just maybe comments that have been made that indicate there is an issue with, because they're white, you know, that they, that they have an issue with who they are. Hmm. I see. Um, I get, and this is why I know for people who listen to this program, uh, if people, if they're new listeners, I think it's so important. Uh, we start our broadcasts uh, with the definition of racism. Uh, generally, I'll share my definition of racism and ask the guest uh, if she or he uh, thinks my definition is accurate. Sometimes I'll do it the other way. I'll ask the guest uh, if they have a definition of racism, and you know, we'll see what they uh, bring to the table. Um, it's so important because so many people uh, have different definitions for the term racism, uh, but I think a lot of times we don't share our definitions, uh, and we assume that everyone, you know, agrees with our definition, or that we all have the same definition, and that's not true at all. The real point I, I want to make, I would hope people make an effort to have definitions that reflect truth, um, what you described in terms of you seeing black people that maybe have some frustration or anger towards whites. I think that's very logical. To me, that's not racism. Uh, to me, racism has to be about uh, power to abuse, dominate, mistreat, and there's nothing that can be done about it, that type of power. And just me personally, I have not seen, I don't see any evidence of black people being able to abuse and particularly large numbers of whites being able to abuse and mistreat them and nothing can be done about that. I'm just not aware of that existing anywhere on the planet, anywhere in the known universe. Um, are you aware of that where white people can be abused, mistreat anything, black people can do anything they want to whites and nothing can be done about it by anyone. Are you aware of that? You know, that's an interesting uh, perspective and I'm so glad that you shared your, your thoughts and your definition on racism. Um, 
And I guess I didn't think about it in that large of a context in terms of, you know, the power, the power um, issue, because, you know, you're right. And, and us even in large number in numbers, we don't have that same effect um, in terms of what we what we can get away with or, you know, in terms of um, seeking justice, because it's all about, you know, them you know, trying to have that ultimate control and, and power. So from your perspective, I can see where you're coming from. Um, I think from what I was saying was just more from, you know, us as black people being frustrated about, you know, the actions of white people and, you know, maybe by their thoughts or what, you know, what we think, what what we say, what we do, um, and more, of, more in the form of... Um, out of that frustration, but in terms of a, a large number and being able to retain more power, no, you're right. That's something that is not existing at this point. Right on. I just I point that out. I, I think we've had a number of guests who have suggested that black people, really any non-white people in the world, being frustrated about racism uh, or about whites that that qualifies as racism and uh that's just it's not logical i do try to make sure i point out the counter-racist logic of why that is uh false false logically but moving forward uh before you began teaching abroad did you have any experience as a teacher while you were here in the states yes i did i worked for three years in a title one school in the south suburbs of chicago um prior to that um, I was in corporate America for about five years, doing various things, um, everything from office administration to um, creative service coordinator to receptionist, um, you name it all. But I, and I can give you a little bit of my background to tell you how I got into teaching, but, um, you know, I, you know, with the context of time, I'm not sure if you, if, if that's, if that's what you want to hear. Um. <laughs> Generally, I would say yes, but I guess if you want to be abbreviated, uh, just in the interest of time. No, you know, the time factor is not a problem. I was just concerned about my battery, but um, my generator is working. So I'm able to keep my, my um, computer pretty char- charged for, for the meantime, i say that. Oh, okay. Wonderful. Okay. Well, yeah, let's hear the background. All right. So basically, after college, I went to the court. I did the corporate America thing. I I actually had an interest in education before I left undergrad, but um, I never pursued it. I had the wrong intentions. Um, I was focused in the wrong areas, and I decided to go another route, which was um, speech communication and public relations. So from that, I was able to get you know more deeper into that that corporate. America thing, but it wasn't for me. Um, I I just dealt with a lot of kind of some of the same issues that we were just speaking of: the power struggle, um, the racism from from you know both my perspective and yours, my frustrations and their powers, you know them trying to get their power. And then I I in about 2006 um, I was laid off from my last corporate position. Um, And at that time, I found out I was pregnant with my son. And um, I just, you know, I didn't know what I was going to do uh, with my life. I just knew that that, in that moment, I needed to do something better and I needed to have more stability. And I I knew I wanted to be in a position of helping other people, but I wasn't 
really clear at that time and what capacity. So I did some more research, and about um, a year later, I started a grad program um, in elementary education. I finished that within two years. Um, it was extremely hard because I was also working full-time. I got another job just to make ends meet. I was going to school part-time, and I was taking care of my son, who was less than a year old at the time. So when when people say that they can't get through school or that they have all these obstacles, it's not true because I made it, and I was able to, you know, to go through regardless of the obstacles. So, um, and then I kind of fell into the position that I worked at in the States. Um, there was a position that kind of opened up for me and I was able to stay on for three years. And at the end of that three years, I decided it was time to move on and I wanted to give the overseas teaching opportunity a try. And here I am four years later. So. Wow. Wow. Perseverance, perseverance, MissBlackExpat.com. Check out the website, <laughs> the YouTube channel. Thank you. For sure. I appreciate it. <laughs> um, and just with kind of what you described um, in terms of the racism here in the States that you experienced, racism, white supremacy, where you said you were frustrated and they were exercising their power. Um was this the corporate setting or the classroom setting? This was um, the, this was in the, more in the corporate setting. Okay. Um, I didn't see it as much in the states um, because you know the the environment. I was teaching pretty much at an all black school. Um, I didn't have white administrators. All my administrators were black. They were very supportive. Um, the parents that I worked with were black. Um, I don't even think that I had, I might have had one or two white students within the three years that I worked at that school. Um, it was a Title I school. Not saying that has anything to do with it, but it just, with, with the, the demographic that I was working with and, and the um, administration, I didn't have to really deal with that as much as I did in corporate. Explain. And as much as I. Mm-hmm. I, I just wanted you to tell our listeners the significance of it being a Title One school. Um, Title One school? You mean what? It, what is a Title One school, or just why that's significant? What it is? Why um, it's significant? I think for me, I you know, I, and I'll preface this with saying that this, because it, you know, this, that first experience was probably the best teaching experience that I've ever had, and I actually miss um, teaching in that school. But a Title One school basically means that most. Um, most of the children, a large percentage of the children are on free and reduced lunch options um, based on their um, their parent income. And why that was significant to me is because since I've been overseas, I've worked with the most privileged, spoiled, unappreciative children because their parents come from very wealthy backgrounds. Um, they have a different lifestyle, and the children that I worked with in the states, they, you know, they can't, they didn't have that. So those same experiences, they were very um, came more from a humble background, were more appreciative of the things that I would do for them. They wanted to be there, they wanted to learn. Again, I was working with a, a first grade um, in the first grade, so my kids were a lot younger. Um, 
but I appreciated that experience because it, it just taught me a lot. And it just really kind of showed me the true definition of what it means to be in education and just working for my community because I was working for, you know, fellow African-American children and I'm giving back to my community that I grew up in. Now, since I've been overseas, although it's been a really good experience, but these children, they can't relate to my background, nor can I really relate to theirs. And sometimes there's a little bit of a disconnect because of that. And so, like I said before, I felt like I had a better connection with those children and that I was really making that impact and that they, and I could, I can, I knew that I had a, an effect on their life. Wow. I'm so glad we got the additional detail. Um, I was going <laughs> to ask this question later, but I think it would be good to know now. Can you tell us, you're, you're at an international school in Uganda, so can you tell us like as much detail as possible in terms of the demographics, racial composition of the students, the staff, who attends this school, like as much detail as possible about an international school in Uganda? Okay. Uh, well, there's demographic. There's everybody. Um, primarily, you'll see Ugandans. Um, you see, there's a, a huge Indian population in Uganda, so you see quite a few Indian families. Um, you have Somali families, Sudanese. You have um, other East African um, nationalities represented. You have European. You have um, South American. You have American. You have Asians of all types, whether, you know, everything from Korean to Chinese. Um, my classroom right now consists of, I have, um, just think of my demographic, I have Americans, I have Ugandans, I have Sudanese, I have Russian, another, well, she's, she's, um, She's mixed with Russian, and I have another another student this year with Russian and Congolese. I have um, a bit just. What percentage of the students at the school are white? The percentage, I would say, hmm, I would give it maybe about. I would say about forty percent. It's a quite a quite a bit. Um, now, in terms of the teachers, you were asking the demographics of the teachers. Um, in early primary, um, between kin- I would say between kindergarten and um, grade three, you have a mix of the of Ugandan um, and a sprinkle of white teachers. I'm the only black American teacher in the entire school. There is an intern there. She's black American. She's going to be there for another month or so. Um, but when you get into the upper primary and the secondary, which is their, they're considered their high school, you see mainly just British whites. You see um, Australian and American white um, with a few sprinkles of Ugandan and Kenyan teachers gender uh, breakdown, particularly the upper levels where it starts to be more white uh, in terms of male to female ratio, teachers? Mm-hmm. Um, the male female ratio in the upper levels I would say would be I believe, I, 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 in my opinion it's more heavily dominated by males um, yeah I would say that the male Male population is is higher. 
Hmm, It's a large, a very large school. Actually, you know, I'm an early primary, so I usually don't see that side of the school. I could go a week without seeing them because it's like it reminds me of a college campus. So they've invested a lot in this in the in the school and the the infrastructure. Got it. Fascinating. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, how does how does the the international school how does that compare? I don't know if you've been to other schools in in your area of Uganda. How does that school compare to like the elementary schools in your part of Uganda or the uh, upper level schools in your part of Uganda? Now, when you just so, so I'm clear, when you say the upper level um, or primary schools, are you speaking of local schools or other international schools? Local schools. Local schools. Okay, so the local schools here are primarily are, are all Ugandan. Um, I'm actually the community development coordinator for a local school here, which basically means I coordinate um, their school improvement projects. And their school doesn't compare anything to the international school. Um, I'm, in, I'm in the process of um, coordinating a construction project for them to have more um, bathroom facilities because they... They have over 600 students, and they don't have enough bathroom facilities. They need a school library. They don't have books for the library. Um, they don't have playground equipment. Um, the, usual, the class ratio is usually um, maybe 30 students to every two, for one or two teachers, depending if they have an aide in the classroom. Um, in comparison to the international school, we have... Um, you know, computer labs and, you know, all resources galore, two or three, three different libraries on campus. Um, my class right now, I have 13 students in my class, which is a dream. If, you know, if you're a teacher, you know, that's like the best thing to have a small class. I've never had a small class, so I'm able to get so much more done, much more done with them. But it doesn't really compare, honestly, and it's very sad. Um, now, I can't speak for every local school. I've only been to a few, and the ones that I've seen are always seem, they always seem to lack um, in greater resources and, you know, and, and accommodations for the students, um, accessibility to, res- uh, you know, IT materials. Everything is on the computer now. Most of the schools don't have access to that. So, and I know a lot of them are privately owned schools where the students are still paying school fees, but it's not enough to help generate um, a transformation with, within, the, you know, the individual schools. And in the government schools, unfortunately, they don't really have much of an option. They don't get as much um, financial assistance as you would think because it's a government school. Wow. Um, but the international schools, like the, the, the tuition, these children pay are about 5000 U.S. dollars a term. So they're paying about 15000 Now, that's for my kids, which are their first graders. Now, for this, the, um, the um, secondary students are paying close to anywhere between twenty five and 30000 I believe. I might be off with my quotation but it's absolutely ridiculous but because of the type of money that they're paying they're able to accommodate and provide such resources for the students fascinating that is a uh crushing depiction of global white supremacy in my opinion Um, you know can you you just make sure i just i want to make sure i'm not making an assumption the local 
schools. You're in uh, Kampala, Uganda. Is that the specific city? Yes, I'm in Kampala. Okay. Mm -hmm. The local schools there that are struggling and don't have basic resources and even enough, you know, restroom facilities. Um, Are they, is there like, have you seen even one white child at any of these local schools in Kampala? Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. No. You know, let me tell you something, Gus. Like, it's, the, the 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 white people here to me they live in some type of bubble like they don't expose their children or themselves to anything outside of their this international school community i actually did another video on this um, a few weeks ago about how i'm trying to expose my son to outside opportunities for him to engage with the local community because you can easily get lost within this um, bubble that they that they live in this very safe and nurtured and you know environment I mean, it's not realistic, honestly. Um, so, no, there's no white children in the, the local schools. Um, you may find a few sprinkles of Indian or Sudanese, but that's very rare. Um, there's another school that I also partner with on a couple of act, uh, other activities, and they they have a pretty good, diverse mix, but you won't see whites. You'll see a diverse mix of other Africans, um, or like I said, the Indians, but you won't see the whites at all. They tend to only put their children in those um, in, in international school settings. Wow. Do you know, you know, what type of what type of white people would be in Uganda to have their children enrolled in these schools? Like who are the parents of these children? Who are we talking about? These are parents who are high executives and NGOs, um, they own businesses, they've done some type of, they work in some type of um, corporate, you know, maybe they have a partnership with um, a corporation that's based here in Kampala, uh, or it may be based in another East African country such as Kenya or Tanzania, which um, usually is more known to have international businesses um, and just they're they're here uh, temporarily maybe on a two or three year contract some work for the government some work for the U.S. Embassy um, there's just different types of positions that um, that I personally seen them you know working while they're here um, mm-hmm. they, they just to me that sounds like uh, high level suspected racists uh in my opinion uh these folks that are in these ngo positions or uh where they are able to move around the globe and have lots of influence and have you know this much money to send their children to these schools like these sound like some uh these sound like white people who i would suspect of not being very ignorant about racism uh that would be (laughs) that would be my suspicion i could be i could be in error um but that is Fascinating information all the way around to get more detail about your schools. How much? How much? Uh, um, it is. I. I'm sorry, my lights just went out. <laughs> That's what oh, wow. why you had to be. No, it's okay. But I'm fine. My computer is okay. Wow. Um. <laughs> so no, you know. I just find it just 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 funny how they come here. Like like basically the reason you know another reason I put that video out there that you commented on, um, which I. Oh, are you still with us? 
Not hearing uh, Miss Black Expat. Not hearing Miss Black Expat. Oh, no. She said she told me uh, just before we went live that they were having a... Oh, she's dialing back in. Let's see. But she said they were having a really bad uh, storm and she had lost uh, electricity uh, briefly. And she just said her lights went out. So, I mean, she was really uh, being a trooper and uh, hanging in. Let's see if we can... Oh, I think we got hey, here. I'm here. Uh, are you? Are, yes, ma'am. We can hear you. Can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear you. I'm sorry about that. I don't know what happened. It, it could be the storm. Do you feel uh, safe? Like, do you feel? I don't know if it's lightning or what have you, but do you <laughs> no, feel? it's it's a so common. You know, this is this is like a once a week thing for me. I mean, I've been days without electricity. I've had low water pressure. I've had no water at all. So this is nothing at all for me. Um, I'm. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's very common. Whenever anything slightly happens, it, the rainstorm, I wouldn't even can have considered it a big storm, but any slight thing will just throw off the power uh, source here. So we will go without, you know, lights. And this may go in well into the middle of the night until I get power. Wow. So I just have to make, make do for what, you know, whichever way that I can. And it's very humbling. I've learned, you know, a lot through the experience, um, you know, how to adapt. So. It, it's not it's not that big you know big thing for me as it used to be. I used to have a big th- big deal with it and be very frustrated by it, but you know it is what it is. Wow, reminds mm-hmm. me of uh, Asada Shakur. She said, uh, "Human beings can adapt to anything." You would be surprised um, when uh, when you are, were preparing for this journey. Like you you emphasize research when you talk to other Black people about traveling abroad. Like how much time did you invest in researching? Uganda and the school there and I mean did you did you know going in that oh, okay they have power outages in the place that I'm going to be staying at and you know it could be hours on end with me not having power when these storms come like can you just tell us about how much time you invested in the research and how much you knew about going into this project sure you know I did a little research like I said Uganda I wasn't expecting them you know to to work here but I was so anxious to get on the continent so when they offered me the interview I I just kind of you know went along with it and then afterwards is when I started to do the research so it wasn't a place where I initially said hey I want to move to Uganda let me do this research let me find all this information so once I was you know had the job offer I um I was asking around. I was able to connect with um, quite a few individuals online. Facebook has been a blessing. Um, I'm in a part. I'm joined in a, uh, quite a few uh, Black expat groups on Facebook. So that was really good. And just reaching out to people that have been here before, that has family. It was really a blessing, honestly, because it seemed like when I was still in the contemplation stage as to whether or not I wanted to come to Uganda anyway, because I didn't preface this when I first told you, um, but I left my son in the States with his father for the first year that I was here. So I was very hesitant about leaving him behind and starting my life over in a completely new country, starting over in a new, you know, school and, you know, just kind of having to get reacclimated. Um, so within all of that hesitation, you know, I was still asking and reaching out to people, but it was just a blessing because all these signs were, were coming at me of people that, you know, were just kind of coming in my path that it either, you know, lived in Uganda or had, you know, like I said, family or friends who had visited or had a really good piece, a trunk of information to share with me. And that's kind of how I, 
I functioned initially until I started just taking my own steps to 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 go out even more. But my my number one suggestion for anybody who wants to relocate to a new country is if you can, by any way possible, visit. I would highly, highly suggest it. Um, I knew about the power outage thing. I knew about um, the roads and the transportation. I knew about the rainy season. Um, I knew about it. I just, you know, it's a difference between knowing about it and hearing about it, and it's a difference between experiencing it. So you can hear about it all you want, but until you're actually in the experience, it's a completely different story. Got it. Did you know about the uh, power outages before you got there? The administrator that interviewed me, she, you know, she said, you know, she made a little joke. She said, you know, just as long as you can deal with the powder, power outages and water shortages, you know, possibly once a week, then you should should be okay. And I kind of laughed. I was thinking in my head, like, she couldn't be serious, but she was. <laughs> yeah. It hasn't really been that bad. I mean, I, I I usually, I would say at least once a week, though, the power does go out. Now, the water is not so much as often as a week, but the power definitely goes out weekly. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, I- <it's- laughs> Our listeners from all over the world, just, you know, you can take a moment to think about that. So if you had that to look forward to on a weekly basis, a power outage that lasts, you know, hours, uh, how that would impact your schedule on a weekly basis. Wow. Um, I mean, yeah, I won't I I won't sit here and tell you that it's just, you know, been okay because, you know, sometimes this will be in the middle of me getting ready for work. And sometimes I don't have hot water. I mean, it's been times where I've had no electricity for two days and everything in my refrigerator I had to throw away. You know, and it's just, it's little things like that. You know, it's things and we take for granted so much stuff. You know, when I was in the States, when I was in the UAE, I took for granted all of that. And I've just learned to appreciate things on a completely different level living here. Because, you know, at any given moment, you just don't know. Um you know, what, what, what may come about, you know? So. Wow. What, uh, I, I just, I wanted to ask, I wanted to make sure we included as well. Cause I started off saying that you, uh, most importantly, uh, a writer, blogger, uh, teacher, educator, you are a black mother. Uh, can you talk about the process, uh, being a black mother and leaving, uh, to go teach abroad and leaving your, uh, child, your only child, uh, behind with his father. Well, yeah, sure. Now, let me just tell you, when I was in the UAE, he was with me. Um, he was with me for those two years. But it, being a single mother, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure whether black or white or whoever, you know, it, it is a struggle. But for me in the UAE, it was it was a real struggle being a black single mom, specifically because um, I dealt with with a lot of racist issues as well there. Um, and specifically in the school systems um, where my son was going, he had a one particular instance where an Egyptian teacher um, slapped him in the head because he was talking or something. And, of course, it was my white administrators. I didn't get any support. And my whole argument was, you know, you don't put your hands on my child. But he got away with it because of who he was and who I was. And that's that, that's where you go into that power um, issue. Because, of course, if he was, you know, if it was a white student and that was a, you know, a black teacher, he would have been gone a long time ago, you know, without a question about it. So I was dealing with a lot of issues with his school, um, 
you know, it was a very conservative culture and all these things. But my son was just having a difficulty adapting there in that environment. And it just wasn't really working for him. So he kept telling me, I just want to go home and be with my dad. And I don't, I didn't want to refuse that from him because at the time he was eight and I still, I knew that because I'd been away for those two years that he had lost a piece of that relationship. And I'm, I'm a strong advocate for black boys to have a relationship with their father, especially if the father is present and he wants to have a relationship. So I was always advocating for that. You know, we had an agreement where, you know, in the summers we would go home and he'd be there, uh, be with him. But um, this particular time he said, you know, I want to stay. I want to stay with with my dad. So I, like I said before, I wasn't really ready to come back to the States. And I just thought I'd be able to handle it, you know, alone without him. And honestly, it was a really difficult time for me being away from him last year. Um, but just being being a single black mom overseas is very difficult. I, t- I tell my friends this all the time back at home. Um you don't realize what you have until you don't have it. So at home, I have a really good support system um, between my parents, my siblings, friends, um, distant family members. I, I always have people that have been there for me and have helped me, um, you know, just help me with my son overall. You know, whether everything from babysitting to giving me advice to just being, you know, being there for that moral support. But being here, you know, of course, family is the phone call away, but it's nothing like having your support team in in your circle, you know, around you in your physical space. So that has been an extreme challenge for me. Um, Financially, it's difficult um, because, you know, raising a child, you know, overseas that, you know, the limit, the income is not really as, as good as people may think. Um, that's another thing if, if somebody is interested in teaching, especially teaching. Now, I can't speak for other professions, but with teachers, there's just not a lot of money involved wherever you go. Um, but especially when you come to places like Uganda, you will find there, you'll get a lot of other accommodations. Like I get free housing and tuition for my son is free. Um, membership to the gym is free. You know, I get a lot of um, incentives, but in terms of living wage, it's very difficult um, and then just being a mom, you know, it's like you, I, I, I always feel that boys need a male presence in their life. You know, whether you have a relationship with the father or not, the, a boy needs a male presence, whether in the form of a mentor, uncle, you know, brother, whoever, he needs that male presence. And I find that to be a little bit difficult here where I haven't really, um, he doesn't have a consistent male mentor. He's, he's involved in several activities. I keep him busy. He's on bas- in basketball. He's in, um, swimming, robotics, and he has male teachers, but I I really would like for him to have a, you know, more of a one-on-one connection with somebody, but it's very, you know, it it can be a little bit difficult um, to the point where I'm considering moving back home so that I can have that support and for him to be closer to his father, to my father, to my family um, in the long run. Wow context of white supremacy miss black expat uh visit the website miss black expat.com uh with the school incident that you started with when you were in the uh uae and you said uh, it was difficult and you felt like you were experiencing a lot of racism white supremacy i would say uh your child was having a diff- uh, difficult time adjusting you said that this uh teacher white male teacher 
uh, struck your son and nothing was done about it. He wasn't, you know, reprimanded or anything and it wasn't a big deal. Uh, were, did they have a policy where, you know, they, they explicitly stated that teachers are allowed to strike students? Uh, no, uh, there was no, there's no policy in force. It wasn't, he wasn't actually a white teacher. He was an Egyptian teacher, but you might as well just put him on that same, in that same category. Um, but there was a, it was white, a white male, a white American male administrator who was the one telling me that it wasn't that big of a deal. And in more or less words that I need to get over it and move on. Wow. Um, I was treated very I mean, I had I had had to file a grievance with the main um, corporate office of my of, of the school that that he was that basically it's a school uh, it's a private school and it fell under the um, a major conglomerate of different private schools in the UAE. So, and I, I had to literally go to the main office and file a grievance against him because nothing was happening um, face to face. But yeah, he basically thought that, you know, it wasn't anything, you know, he didn't see it happen. The teacher said he was sorry and he, you know, he gave him a warning and he won't do it again. But he wasn't able to pull, and this was something that I did not I wasn't able to obtain, which was anything in their policy stating about the no hitting. But he did clearly state that there's no hitting allowed. Now, the teacher blatantly lied on me initially saying he did not do it um, when my son would never lie to me about anything like that. So then he comes back again and says, you know, he's sorry. He didn't mean to. It wasn't really a hit. It was a, you know, a tap. You know, he's trying to be <laughs> everything. It was ridiculous. You know, I mean, the things that I had to go through with this situation, I mean, it was just it was just nerve wracking. And here I go again in an isolated place away from that support by myself, trying to raise my black son in a different culture and dealing with all of these different um, implications along the way. And it has, you know, it's been very difficult. So, uh, you know, thankfully, it was toward the end of the year. I feel really I felt powerless, really, honestly, because everything that I was saying as a mom was really going out of the window. They weren't respecting what I had to say, nor were they trying to take any further action other than, you know, look, we we told you he has the warning and, you know, get on with your life, basically. Um, again, if I was a white mother or if this was a black teacher, the thing, everything would have been completely turned around. That teacher wouldn't probably even had a chance to explain himself um, before he was pushed out the door. So I really completely respect everything you say about the racist issue in terms of power um, because it is white supremacy. You know, he knew he can get away with that as that white administrator in that position and he can pretty much, you know, do what he wants and his, his will. He needed that teacher. And he felt that me, you know, as a black mother, what my thoughts and what my feelings were toward the action that was taken against my son were irrelevant. That at this point, what mattered is that his staff was, you know, still there and, you know, and people went on with their with their day. You know, and white people try to avoid conflict. You know, it's like I've seen that a lot in my journey um, internationally and it's just a different breed of white people, but they really tried to avoid conflict. And he was trying to just brush it completely off. I wasn't having that at all. So when he, like I said, when he completely brushed me off, I went above his head and I filed the grievance again because I'm out of my element. The things that we do in the States, 
is not necessarily as deeply impacted as they are in other parts of the world. You know, that grievance wasn't necessarily that big of a deal to them. It's just like, okay, you, you fill out this paperwork, you know, we have it on file. Thank you for letting us know. You know, as opposed to when if I was in the States, I would have been a completely different, you know, I could have taken legal action. So in some respects, I do feel that I can't get, I, I'm so limited in the things that I have access to in terms of me trying to obtain some type of power um, or getting justice in situations. Right, right. want to make sure I, I point out as well, uh, I did snicker there. We've talked about that, you know, laughing. This is serious. This is war. And certainly it is not humorous at all. A uh, black child being violently assaulted again in a classroom setting and then a black mother not being able to do anything about it. But the the portion or the point where I did snicker was when this white teacher lied, struck your son, lied about it, said he didn't do it, then came back and then admitted that he did do it, but said that it was not a hit, it was a tap. And that sort of thing, that happens, the humor in it for me was that is so, that is white culture, that exactly mm-hmm. what you said where terrorism against black people it always Mm -hmm. gets minimized where we're not using the correct terms uh where that becomes a tap uh where slavery uh enslavement of black people becomes migrant workers uh where you end up with all of these nonsense terms microaggressions where i say don't i encourage listeners not to use that term because it's the same thing it's minimizing it's always something small when black people are mistreated and we should get totally uh, away from any concept or any terms that suggest that this is something minor. Uh, This is just, you know, a a meager offense uh, against little childish black people who are so easily offended and just can't let things go, which is kind of sounds like what the white administrator told you. Just, you know, let it go and, you know, move on about your day, man. Stop wasting our time with all this. Um, Wow. I I also wanted to, uh, I guess, ask directly, you also, because you have uh, videos about your observations about how racism, white supremacy as a global system, how it impacts the Ugandans. And you have a whole uh, video where you talk about colorism uh, in Uganda. And I want to know, are you treated by Ugandans? Are you treated differently on the basis of being African-American or are you treated on the basis of being a little bit uh, lighter? And I guess... Uh, <laughs> To, to, cl- to clarify that question, the latter part of that question for our listeners, I guess if you could pick out somebody that we know uh, that we have that a lot of us would have seen, very, really popular person, that you can say, hey, I am about the pigmentation of this person. Can you pick out somebody that, that we would know? You're asking me to pick somebody that yes, I ma'am. think that my skin complexion mirrors? Oh, you know, I don't know. Because I've... I, <laughs> Um, let me see from, I, you know what I would just tell them to go to my, look at my videos and they can, they can see what, what my complexion is. Okay. Um, would you say you're a lighter complexion? <laughs> I am a light, lighter skin, African-American women, woman. And I will tell you that I get black from both just being African-American and being light skin. Now I think it's more from the light skin aspect, honestly, because I have, seen other African-American women here, whether visiting or living, who are brown skin or, you know, just more brown than me or um, 
and they don't get the same uh, same treatment pretty much um, or they are more welcomed or more um, the initial response isn't is not as as uh, negative as it is with me like I think when, when people see me they don't know you know where I'm from or you know how I'm going to respond or act and they you know tend to generalize you based on that that alone about you know your complexion and it, and I think it also depends on the person in, in themselves you know if they've been exposed to a lot of different people if they're well traveled well ed- educated and knowledgeable about African Americans about different cultures it is a different perspective um, it doesn't happen with everybody of course but depending on the areas that I go into and the people that I talk to um, it you know I'm received differently and then when I'm when my accent you know you know, naturally, I don't, you know, I don't sound like I'm from here. I have a strong American accent and they pick that up and tend to put a lot of, um, you know, and you in that general um, box. And here they call Americans or white people Mzungu. And um, not saying that you're, they're calling you a white person per se, but that they're categorizing you as that status is if to say, okay, she's not from here, so she must have money, or she must have this, or she must have that. And that's, you know, it's so far from the truth. And I've had to fight so many battles in trying to not necessarily prove to people like, hey, you know, I'm not like that. But, you know, just to say, hey, give me a chance. You know, this is me. This is who I am. Get to know me. And a lot of times I've had to be the bigger person and speak up. And, hey, how are you doing? You know, initiate a conversation and try to build those relationships, especially with women. It hasn't been so much with men, of course, but women are usually it's very hard to try to break that barrier and I know it has a lot to do with colorism um, I think that colorism has has divided our race across the globe whether you're in the US or in you know Uganda I'm currently reading a book right now um, about colorism and how colorism has just affected us as a people um, and how it, it's just it's, it's meant is that conquer and divide type tactic to keep us you know to keep us hating each other and unfortunately it's unfortunate you know we all come from the same and you know why are we having to be separate and, and classify ourselves as one thing or the next um, or some people using that their color as more of an advantage or disadvantage or feeling that they're not adequate or that they're you know superior inferior and that's the white people are have done that and infiltrated that that stigma on us is what I think but anyway that's trickled over somehow here and I just feel that people automatically make assume that I'm unapproachable or um, what we would say conceited or um, you know or, or, or some other negative stigma because of my complexion um sometimes I feel like maybe they they don't think that I am um because they don't think that I'm Ugandan I I have gotten it sometimes I will get it every now and then people will think that I'm Ugandan of course before I open my mouth um but you know and for most most of my experiences you know haven't been that and it's the women that I that I've had issues with you know breaking that barrier Fascinating. And what, building that bond. <laughs> what book are you mm-hmm. reading on colorism right now? You know, I would have to go get the book and tell you the exact title. Um, oh, it's don't really, trust really No, I, I can email you and you can tell your listeners. It's a really good book, though. Um, it just kind of breaks down just different colorism um, issues, everything from 
the complexes of hair, the complexes of family dynamics. You know, you may have a lighter skinned sister, a darker skinned sister, and they hating and, you know, you know, just having that separation to everything about getting a job to, you know, um, just anything that people will feel that your color signifies that you are either superior, inferior, you know, and, and I think people say if, you know, if you, um, for some reason, you know, black people, well, I don't want to say for some reason, naturally we know what the reason is with the white, the white supremacy, but of course us naturally as black people, um, we've always been deemed lower on every status level. So, you know, here though, like, for example, um, you know, like for example, okay, so for the in the states, I don't know what you know. White people tend to, well, I don't want no. You know, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say that. Okay. I'm rambling. <laughs> I'm just going to stop. <laughs> I will go to my next question then. Uh, in the same, okay. <laughs> in the same vein with uh, how racism has impacted black people in. Uh, Uganda, uh, in terms of them perceptions of you because you're lighter complexion or because you're from the states, uh, particularly you were saying you know maybe difficulties in forming relationships with other uh, Ugandan females. Um, you also talked about how you saw and you emphasized that this was not all Ugandans, but a portion. Some Ugandans are fearful of white people. Um, how were you seeing this manifested? Um, at, really on my job, honestly, um, I see it mainly on my job, but I have seen it out um, in in other settings. But the video that I was speaking of was referencing a coworker of mine. Uh, we have a white British white male director of the school, and you know he's he's a you know very straightforward guy. Um, you know it comes off as very approachable, but for her, I think she's. She was frightened by him. She told me one day, she said, I'm scared of him. I don't want to talk to him. You know, I said, well, why are you scared? She said, I just don't know. But, you know, but she just kept saying she was scared. But I think that somehow um, I've seen this in a lot of Ugandans that they have, you know, been been programmed to be scared and fearful of these, you know, whites in these higher level positions. Um, I don't know if it's fear of losing their job if they speak up you know, fear of, um, you know, being judged and that they, they have to put, you know, put themselves lower to, to kind of feel, you know, just, I feel that they put, they're putting themselves in a lower category around, around these white people. Like as if they don't have that, this lady, she didn't have the confidence to approach him. She didn't want to be, you know, seen just sitting at her desk. She said, I have to always keep busy when he comes around. He may say something. He may do this. He may do that. So it's just this initial feeling of them being a threat in some sort. And that, to me, is like that colonized mentality because, you know, um, they somehow feel that, you know, that the white man is going to, you know, it's that power. It's just going back to the power thing. 
you know, somehow they feel just they just have that inferior, inferiority complex. In public, I've seen it differently out of the workplace where um, they will be over accommodating to white people. Um, basically, I've been in situations where I've been in the front of the line and a white person who just have their white privilege hat on and just come up to the front and just expect to be waiting on because of them being white. And they will stop working with me to accommodate this white person. I've cut so many people out because of it. Um, because, you know, and I tell them straight to their face. I say, you know, you, you stopped to work with me because this, is, this was a white woman. You know, um, it, it, it's, and, and it's wrong. You know, you can't just, you know, put, put me on hold. I'm a customer. My money works the same way. But it's happened to me several times, you know, and, and they have feel threatened in some way. And it just comes out in, in different, just from the actions that I see. Hello. Oh, I thought I had unmuted. My question was, uh, had you not seen uh, black people be fearful of whites in the states, uh, whether they stated it explicitly or whether it was just, you know, implied in their behavior around white people? Of course. Yeah, I've seen it there. I've seen it. Um, But not as much, though. I think... um, I just I think us as black Americans are more outspoken and more um, willing to, to to speak up about things and social injustices and racism. And, you know, if somebody treats you indifferent. You, you we, we tend to speak up more about those things. But here I tend I see it to be the, the opposite. Um, I see it just being that, you know, it's like an OK, yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Type attitude. When you know this is wrong, so why are you not speaking up about it? Why are you allowing them to control? You know, and if you come here, you'll see that, you know, um, white people have Ugandan drivers. They have Ugandan nannies. They have Ugandan um, uh, gardeners. Everybody is working for them as the house help. But really, it's like, you know slavery all over again and they can come here and do it and they sucking it up there's no way and i see like i said a lot of these white americans coming here and getting away with these types of attitudes but um i think for whatever reason they put them in this category that they have this money and this status and this power and then they tend to resort to being um having that inferiority complex over that you know but in the states i've seen it but not as bad i think we just tend to speak out a little bit more about it Hmm. We just have, we we tend to take more action against what you know we we take way more action against that. Hmm. Um, that yeah. mm-hmm. That's fascinating. We've heard that repeated uh, repeatedly from many of our international listeners. Um, going back to what I said earlier about you know, and for me, my definition of racism, white supremacy, uh, is about one group dominating one group specifically individuals who classify themselves as white uh, dedicating their time and energy to dominating overpowering the people that they say are non-white particularly black people dominating and abusing those people uh, collectively in all areas of people activity what I think is so important about that term uh, power when another group of people has power over you and is hostile to you, that is frightening. <laughs> like, it's logical to be 
afraid if you are in that mm-hmm. sort of situation. And so just going back, that's what I mean about power. I generally, I don't bump into white people who are like afraid that black people are going to, you know, stop them from getting a loan at the bank or mm. are not going to hire them for a job, even in Uganda, uh, or, you know, are going to do something and, and just ruin their whole. I generally don't see white people who have that sort of fear of black people. Uh, sometimes it's kind of irrational. their fears that they have of black people if they say they're afraid at all. Black people have logical regions anywhere in the world to be fearful of whites because of the power that they will. That's what I mean when we say racism. It really has to be connected to that element of power because if it's just about me being upset, particularly if I'm upset about you mistreating me, that's not racist. Just logically, that's not racism. Racism is these, you know, whites from wherever they were born at coming to Uganda and, you know, getting a nanny and having these, you know, palaces for schools where they can pay $25,000 and have a great academic experience for their child while, you know, Ugandan children struggle to get toilets. Uh, does that does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And that's why when earlier I was telling you about this bubble because, you know, they're here, like I said, on a contract or whatever. They, put, they live in these big gated community houses. They put their children $25,000 a year, you know, tuition-based schools. But they have no uh, community relations with locals. They have no... Um, impact or they're not they're not giving or contributing or helping to uplift the community when they are starting you know businesses the money is not going to support the local school systems or the the women that are on the streets you know hustling to make money for their children or the other several NGOs that are out here trying to better the community that money goes to support their white families wherever they're from or to help to empower them so they can be on a higher pedestal here and a co-worker was telling me white people they they like coming to Africa they like coming to the continent because they can get away with that kind of stuff they can live very good they can have this nice income live very cheaply and have house help and you know have that slavery mentality and have you know, people of color, like, you know, bowing down to them literally um, and, and, and as opposed to being in the UK or in the States when that's not <laughs> that's not tolerable. Um, you know, so. Hmm. Yeah. Fascinating context of white supremacy, Miss Black Expat. Um, yeah, just try to keep that uh, in mind when we think about that term uh, racism and particularly white power uh, white power I, I just also think it's important when they when you talk about these whites in uh, Uganda being in a bubble uh, just in my view I think it's most accurate and most likely that they are there to practice white supremacy racism that they like things the way that they are and as you said it seems like they're coming to enjoy white supremacy in that area of the world where they can live well, they can see black people suffering, and as I said, their children struggling to get toilets. They like that. They're not coming to fix uh, any of those problems. They're coming to revel in it, uh, it seems. It seems like that's a major uh, racist activity all over the continent, uh, really anywhere where there are black people suffering to go and, you know, gawk and take selfies uh, around black people in misery and to keep them in misery for the next you know, <laughs> infinity. <laughs> this just goes on and on and on and on. Um, you, uh, you also uh, 
uh, had a post. Uh, this is just connecting down from the color, uh, colorism thing. And then when you talked about why, why are you scared of white people? Uh, some of the Ugandans being afraid of white people, uh, where you said in that same post that not all Ugandans feel this way, that there are a lot of proud Ugandans who are all about pan-Africanism and let's, you know, help black people worldwide. And, you know, they're not, they're not on that wavelength at all. You also said that there are, that, you know, uh, some open-minded whites, put that in quotes, who want to help. Um, who, who are these folks? What are they doing? Do you suspect them of racism? If not, why? Okay, so I'll address the first half. Um, <clears throat> yes, now, I, there's plenty, there's several very powerful, influential, um, highly educated, very resourceful Ugandans, and I've had the opportunity to meet quite a few. Um, and what I, um, you know, appreciate about those relationships is, you know, that I've, I've learned, you know, about the resilience overall, that, you know, that know not that they are the ones, like, you know, that, that, are advocating against whites being a part of any of helping to, you know, uplift because they're, they're there for their own benefit and not to help, you know, with the overall community. So they're very aware and conscious um, of that. And I like that I've seen a lot of Ugandans, they may go to the States or other, other areas to for their education and come back and bring resources, um, bring businesses, uh, you know, build up corporations based on you know what they they were able to obtain, you know, wherever they were, and it, and it is helping to bring up and uplift uplift the community. So yes, that's there. That is definitely here. It's not an impoverished community. I hope I didn't make it seem that way. Um, I think with any environment, whether you're in Chicago, LA, or wherever, you're going to have disenfranchised neighborhoods. You're going to have low-income neighborhoods. You're going to have very high, wealthy, influential, um, you know, neighborhoods and surroundings and communities. So I just, I just think it's just a good balance. And I've had the opportunity to be exposed to both sides of the, that spectrum. Now, with the white people that I was referencing, um, I, I, I see a lot of young white people come for volunteer programs. Um, they come and do the um, just different volunteer programs. Like I, had, I just met a uh, young white girl the other day um, who is getting ready to marry a Ugandan. And she came about, a, I, she said she'd been here off and on for five years, but she initially came to do some volunteer work and that she uh, wanted to, you know, I don't even, I don't, I know that it had something to do with, um, I believe it was like a school, school, something with school improvement, but that she, you know, finished the contract, uh, ended up coming back and, you know, ended up meeting this guy and now she's staying permanently. I see, I hear a lot of those stories. Um, you know, I, from, you know, different white people, mainly white women that are coming to, you know, volunteer, been, get involved in some NGO um, and end up staying and, you know, marrying a local. And, uh, yeah, so that, that's that's who I was saying. I, I don't think that they have a I'm not saying that they don't, but I think that the younger ones tend to have a more open minded perspective on not necessarily the attitude of you know, we here, you know, just to help the world type thing. But, you know, we want to get out of our element. Let's come here. Uh, I think it's always going to be a hint, hint of that white supremacy in a sense, because they feel like they have to help, 
you know, that, 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 that stigma of helping somebody um, and that they have to come to East Africa and to Uganda in the most impoverished neighborhood to do that. You know what I'm saying? You know, so it's like, okay, you know, you hear you did your job. So from that aspect, you can see a tinge of the white supremacy attitude of that somehow they think that they have a better opportunity and they're trying to um, implement that within these programs. But when they come to stay for long extensive periods and they tend to get in the relationships um, and have children with locals, that always seems to really, you know, uh, throw me throw me off a little bit. So then I question, OK, so maybe they are really you know, what's that about? But that's a completely different subject that, you know, that I also have my own opinion about as well. Do you see a connection between some of these uh, individuals who classify themselves as white, who come to the continent, Uganda specifically, uh, and they end up staying a long time, getting sexually involved with locals, even marrying or uh, producing children, uh, with local Ugandans, do you see a connection between what kind of throws you off a little bit, if I'm stating it correctly, about seeing that? Do you see a connection between that and kind of what you've written about with white families adopting African children? Oh, you really have done your research, haven't you? <laughs> I try. I try. Oh, wow. You have really dug deep. So, okay, I was talking to a good friend of mine, um, this is a, a few months back. And I just, I would always, there's a lot of interracial dating here. You know, you see a lot of that. And I started to question it. Like, why are these white girls coming here, you know, dating these Ugandan guys? You know, they end up getting married and everything. Not knocking on the Ugandan guys at all. But I'm just saying, you know, what is it? You know, they're just purposely coming here. You know, I know that you're getting pregnant and they're having these babies. And he basically was telling me, you know, can't you see the pattern? They're coming here, you know, trying to break up, you know, he was basically saying to break up the, the, the color and the race and, you know, trying to to water down that, you know, the, the to intermix the children, you know, that not to have a, a you know, to keep it in line with being, you know, the, that child to have a fully African, um, you know, lineage. And so I had to think about that. You know, is it really that deep where they're really making an effort to um, get impregnated by a Ugandan man? Um, or is it that they want, they have a fascination with black men? There's a lot of white girls that have fascinations with black men. Um, you know, but I, I just, I, it's, it's happening so often. But the, the adoption piece that I brought up, now that's a whole nother subject because it's like, these, there's these white American or white British families are coming here and they're adopting Ugandan children and uprooting them out of their Ugandan culture and taking them to the U.S. or wherever and raising them in their white supremacy-based household environment. And my fear is that these Ugandan children will grow up with a complex or not knowing who they are, knowing, you know, exactly, you know, what they're basically who they are and, you know, not having an, having identity complex and not being able to connect back with their, their families and things like that. So that was my whole purpose of putting that video. Um, I don't know if that was a video or a blog. I think it was a blog. Um, but the, 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 the dating thing, I, I just, 
I keep telling myself I want to do an interview um, and hopefully not to offend anybody, but just really interview and get down deep down and just interview some of these, the white women that I've seen that I know personally. Um, I've, I've asked Ugandan men that are dating white women and they just say some people are telling me it's for the money. Um, I think, again, some Ugandans are still fascinated with the ideal of having a white woman as like a trophy piece, which, you know, ideally in the States, you still see black men dating white women as like, hey, I've, you know, made this accomplishment because they don't, you know, unfortunately do not respect and appreciate the black woman. That's how I look at it. But, you know, then some people say, oh, they're just in love, you know, and I'm just, you know, I, I find that a little difficult to understand about the love piece because you're coming from two totally different backgrounds. You know, these are, you know, you know, white women from the states coming to coming here to Uganda. Now, I'm not saying that you know the Ugandan men that they choose are not of worthy status, but it's like you really had to come to Uganda to find your husband. You know, I don't know. I just I'm baffled by it. So instead of me making all these assumptions, I really did want to just break down and interview a few of these um, interracial couples just to get a deeper understanding of of what this really means to them. And you know. You should do yeah. it. We would love to read it. I know many of our listeners, are, this is like way outside of our normal broadcast time. I know we uh, lost oh, a lot I'm of sorry. our, it's, it's no apology. You didn't do anything wrong. It's just, it's a, it's such a massive time difference between Uganda and here, but uh, I'm sure folks will listen in the archives. Uh, I, they would love it. I'm sure some people would, you know, go out of their way so they could hear the live and not archive. If uh, you could get any of these white women that are in these arrangements with black uh, Ugandan males uh, or have adopted children, it would be great. We would love to read if you blog about it or if you do a video about it or if you want to do that and then get them to come hang out on our program. It would be great. We would love the chance to ask questions. I wanted to read a paragraph from that because this was a blog post where you wrote about the adoption and it's interesting because the question that I asked was, do you see a relationship between, cause you have a pretty explicit opinion about all of the ways that white supremacy can be manifest when whites decide to adopt, I say, uh, abduct these black children anywhere in the world that sound very similar to my views about everything that's incorrect about white people being sexually involved with a black person. I think it's the exact same power dynamic and the paragraph I wanted to read. And I even want to ask to see if, if there's a word missing. So you write, that is the same for the Africans who decide to intermix. It is your responsibility to make sure your children know who they are, even if you're not too proud of it. Is it not supposed to be in there or is it supposed to just read? Uh, it's your responsibility to make sure that your children know who they are, even if you're too proud of it. Is that the way it's supposed to read or is there supposed to oh, be? Oh, it must be a typo. Okay. <laughs> um, I think. I, I think I'd have to go back to that post. Um, what I was probably think, speaking of um, is, you know, even on both sides of the family, um, you know, whether it's a white, you know, white and black mix that both sides, I believe have, they should. If, they, if that's what you decide to do is to intermix and have children, um, that you on both ends have a responsibility to um, educate your children on both sides. On both of their both sides, whether you're black or white, you know Hispanic, you still have that. And, and I'm speaking that out of the context of Uganda. It's just in a whole because um, I've seen a lot of one-sided families that are intermixed. You know that the children identify as being white, or they don't have any ident 
identity of being black or don't they don't know that experience or the parents have not included them in that experience um or haven't made them you know feel that that's an important part of who they are it's just it would be that white focus you know so that's kind of what I meant you know as a black parent if that is your responsibility if you decide to marry a white person that's your business but I believe you still have a responsibility to educate your children on who they are on that side right you within within that same paragraph you continued you said a good friend recently posed a question to me are africans and whites integrating to purposely attempt to diminish the effects of the african race is it intentional that lighter skinned children with less defined textured hair are more accepted in a society you do say no to the question that he posed uh i would submit that you know that is something that should be thought about as well as uh, the same thing with the uh, adoption piece. I think it's the exact same uh, thing in terms of whites having all this control over the future of the continent, the future of black people. Uh, we had people that did, uh, did dial in uh, with a question. Uh, folks, if you have anything you would like to ask Miss Black Expat, uh, feel free to chime in the number 641-715-3640. The code is 564 three pound uh, if we have people that are listening uh, while at work you can email your question and I will read it on the air uh, the caller at zero three two five zero three two five did you have a question for miss black expat oh, oh yes I have a question yes sir um, and thank, thank 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 you guys I really appreciate it like like this time on the 1 p.m. time it's good for me anyway but um I wanted to ask a question about um, there's an article online um, uh, with the Inquiries Journal, and it's entitled Sexual Relations Between Elite White Women and Enslaved Men in the Antebellum South, a socio-historical analysis by J.M. Elaine. And I wanted to ask Ms. Expat, I wanted to ask her if she's aware of or, or if she has thought about the power um, differential between the white women that come over um, to supposedly help uh, the Ugandans, the, the the power difference between them and the Ugandan males, and if that power difference, uh, if she thinks or she believes or she or she uh, uh, has thought about the power difference being like the same as you know d- you know during slave time when the the, the slave master. Um, uh, or the slave master uh, and the slave, the slave master's wife having power over the black male slave and the black male slave um, having to acquiesce to whatever desire uh, the, slave, um, the slave master's wife had and, and, and that dynamic being there. Hmm. You know, it's very, very possible. Um, a lot of I believe a lot of that, that relationship, a lot of that, that power is usually, I've, I've seen this, where the Ugandan men are actually taking advantage of the white woman because of her status, her financial status, um, you know, even as deep as getting passport and visa and all those types of opportunities. So in terms of the white woman imposing her power, um, I can't say that it's not happening, but I'm not directly interfacing with those relationships so I don't have that firsthand. I'm just saying from the outside 
but it can be power struggle in multiple ways, you know, in terms of getting um, getting access to certain things because, you know, their husband or their boyfriend is Ugandan um, or, you know, having better opportunities while they're here because they have that Ugandan relationship. But from the, the stories that I've heard, I'm seeing it on the flip side that Ugandan men are, are, are being very um, smart in their approach when they get together with these white women that yes they may pose it as love but a lot of times it's for that white um that advantage that you know that they feel that they can get from that white woman okay um can i ask one more question or sure okay um are you uh, are you also um or have you ever um I know you talked about the, I saw the video where you talked about the Ugandan man, uh, or the, the white man who was uh, practicing racism against a child, his, his, his non-white child. Um, have you ever um, come in contact, or have you ever heard of um, white women, um, maybe in the United States, or, or even, even, in, even in Uganda, white women um, uh, practicing racism against their non-white children once they have night white non-white but once they have a child with a Ugandan male or or even in the United States have you ever heard of a white woman having a child with a black male or non-white male and that child is, is racism is practiced against them via like we've heard on the cows via you know t- uh, uh, not wanting to do the child's hair joking the child's hair uh, not teaching the child about um, properly about black history or African history uh, uh, things of that nature Mm, yeah, I've seen I've seen that too. I've seen um, you know they are trying to um, you know keep to keep that child as far away from you know that their Ugandan or their black side as much as possible. Um, maybe by what they expose them to, the types of friends that they ha- allow them to hang around, um, you know the way they wear their hair, anything you know that can try to keep them, you know, not really confident or sure about their other, their ethnicity, their race, their, their, the black, their black, um, ethnicity. So yeah, I've seen it on both, both ends of the spectrum in the States and in the, um, in Uganda, um, as well. I I can't think of like a specific, specific, but I know that, that it is happened. It's happening. Um, you know, and I think that here they can probably get away with it a little bit more than they would in um, the states. Wow. Um, I hope I answered your question. Sorry if I didn't. You did. You did. Um, I I did have one more. If guess we'll have you ask one more. Okay. All right. Um, I wanted to ask you: Are you aware of the? Um, I guess I would say circuit, the, the circuit that uh, many white women go on internationally. Um, I think it's many older white women go on this circuit. It's like they go to the islands and things of that nature. Um, they go to some African countries just to sleep with um, black males or, or, or African males or non-white males. They sleep with these men. Um, um, sometimes it may be having to do with some type of uh, a, a spiritual thing. They like the guys with the dreadlocks because they feel like they get some type of energy from these guys. Um, but, you know, th- th- that older white women... Are, are, you know, ones that are retired and have money, they're going on these circuits as well. And if, if, if that's true, if you haven't heard of that, if that be true, 
and you see younger white women doing it also via, you know, um, the core or whatever NGOs that are doing the same thing, um, what would you have to say about, about that? If, if, if the older white women were doing the same thing as many of these younger white women going around to different um, um, international countries to, uh, to, to, to hook up and have credit arrangements with, you know, uh, uh, black males. You know, honestly, I really think that white women just love black men, you know, whether they're old or young. Um, I just think they have a fascination with, with black men, regard, you know, regardless of what they may tell you. Um, I think another thing that I've seen, and I've seen this in the States, and I, and, I, and I don't know, you know, how really valid this is, but a lot of white one, women use their white status to obtain a black man to basically throw it in our faces, black women, that, hey, I got your man. And I see that a lot here, too. Um, and a lot of Ugandan women, you know, they don't like the fact to see a white woman with their men, you know. Um, I personally frown upon it as well because I just find that, you know, I, I just find that there's ulterior motives on both ends of that spectrum that, yes, there could be a true love connection, but in actuality, what are you really here for? Um, but I just think, well, to answer your question, I just just think that the white women just generally have a fascination with black men and it's just kind of just a fat, a fantasy to, go, to sleep with a black man, you know, coming here to the continent, you know, like I said, white, I'm sorry, Ugandan men or whoever. And I'm, and I, and I can only speak for Ugandan. I really can't speak for other, um, other, um, African nationalities in terms of how the men operate. But I think that they take feed into it just as much because, you know, here's this older white woman who's got money who can help support them and their lifestyle, uh, you know, whether that's traveling or whatever. Um, I actually met a white woman um, in the UAE, before I left the UAE, actually, um, who was living, who lived in Uganda for seven years before moving to the UAE, and she married a Ugandan man, and he was 20 years younger than her, um, had a, a, you know, a mixed-race child and everything, um, and I, I'm not saying, you know, she just wasn't the most attractive white woman and he was like 20 years younger. So I just didn't understand what that was all about. But I just think that both each other, they are there to use to take advantage in some aspect, you know, of each other, you know. I, I hope I, you know, answer that. Appreciate uh, it. Correct. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Call. Yeah. Uh, I want our listeners. This is for listeners. If you participated in the book study session on Edward Baptist the half has never been told where he has the passage in his book this is a book about uh, enslavement of black people in the US he has a passage in the book where he says that uh, enslaved black females who were going to be raped by white slave owners that they could uh, use they could leverage the situation. That was the term I think he used specifically. They could leverage the situation if they knew that the enslavers, the white enslavers, wanted to sexually take advantage of them. They could try to use that to get better treatment. Does that sound similar to what we're hearing about black males in Uganda and whatever they might be trying to get from white females? This is for listeners who heard that. Does this sound similar? Uh, the question we had from a different listener, she wanted to ask, who do you think is most confused about what racism is and how it works? Do you think white people are most confused 
or do you think non-white people are most confused about what racism is and how it works? Well, um, and that's, that's quite, you're asking me that question, correct? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Okay, so I think that sometimes we as black people can be confused about the question of racism because, you know, what I was telling you earlier, you know, it can be a frustration or something, you know, that that we, you know, when I, you're asking me the question of are black people racist? And, you know, my, my response was, you know, I've seen we have reacted very, you know, frustrated or angry or try to retaliate and all those things, but it's still the issue of power. So I think white people very much know that they have that power. They're very well, you know, knowledgeable of, you know, what that means to them and the advantages that they have, the white, you know, privilege advantages. And that sometimes we can, you know, think that, yes, we're being racist to this particular individual, but unless that that can be implied as having a, a higher level of power over that group or individual, then really it's not racism, you know, because that implies that there's power. So I think that's, you know, how I would respond to that. Fascinating. Fascinating. We'll see if our caller in Michigan, if that uh, satisfactory answer to her question. I also did want to say, because you did use the term love earlier uh, to describe, you said fascination, but you also said white women love black males uh, and just that word. I know people have a lot of different meanings for what what they mean with the term love. Uh, I would submit if white women really loved black males, racism wouldn't exist white women could get busy and knock this problem out like today uh retired firefighter in florida did you have a question for miss black expat you should be with us can i be heard yes sir greetings everyone and greetings to the guests uh first of all i'd like to say i'd like to applaud you and your 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 willingness to go abroad i that 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 uh that takes a lot of, uh, uh, I, I guess the best word that, that I can use right now, probably the better word is courage to, uh, to do that. Uh, but my question is, uh, I uh, saw the clip that Gus put on his uh, Facebook uh, of you speaking about the incident with the, uh, the uh, quote-unquote Russian white person, uh, white male uh, with the uh, non-white child. Uh, and uh, uh, you stated a couple of times that uh, you used the word, I think, on your behalf that you were confused, and on his behalf, it's him being ignorant. Uh, my question is, have you considered that that white person is not ignorant, but it's actually you witness a white person practicing racism white supremacy? Just for our listeners, I'm, I didn't mean to interrupt, but the video that he's referencing, since we haven't talked about it, can you kind of just give the context before you answer his question about this Russian uh, parent and one of the students in your class so everybody knows what we're talking about? Yeah, sure. Uh, th- and thank you also for the call- to the caller for um, commending me on my courage for going abroad. I really appreciate that. But the video that is being referenced i i had an incident with a this was last school year um a parent who is russian and he had a child with a ugandan woman um so he still 
you know, he would come to my classroom regularly and just express, you know, his, he was very open and, you know, vulgar with the things that he would say. And, you know, this one particular time I had an, I had planned a field trip and one of the field trip was actually going to that local school that I was telling you about Gus, where they are um, dealing with some shortages on toilets and, you know, some other school improvement issues. So I wanted to, because it's our community link school, um, expose our children in the international school community to a local school setting so that they can kind of get a different experience. So, you know, the parents still had to fill out a permission slip and everything, but this particular parent, he was the only one that hadn't filled one out. So I sent him an email and I asked, I said, can, you know, can you please let me know yeah or nay if you're going? So he came to visit me and, you know, just was very frank with me, just, you know, asking me, um, you know, if, if this was a local, you know, Ugandan school. And I told him, yes, he says, I don't want my child around those people. Um, I don't, I hate Ugandans. They're ignorant. You know, he just kept going on and on and just diminishing Ugandans, just tearing them down. Mind you, my, um, teacher's assistant was sitting right in the room with us and she's Ugandan mind you his daughter is partly Ugandan and mind you that he's in Uganda but he's negatively speaking about Ugandans you know in such a hateful way um, and basically telling me that he does not want his daughter um, in that environment um, to see that she doesn't like Africa she wants to go to Europe and Russia and I just asked him I said can you can you really stop for a minute and think about the things that you're saying I, I just cut him completely off I told him I don't want to continue this conversation um, because I don't I don't respect that I don't appreciate you know you bringing that negative energy into my classroom nor do I appreciate you diminishing um, the country or the people that live in the country that I currently reside in because I don't I don't have those same beliefs um, and just you know finally you know he 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 obliged and he took and let his daughter you know go but it was just the upward battle I just I didn't understand his hatred, the level of hatred that he was so open about. You know, most white people, they have that indirect white supremacy, racist attitude, but he was very open about it. And I was able to have a, a pretty good dialogue with him on several different occasions about it. But this one particular um, incident really, really rubbed me the wrong way. And I just had to make a video about it, expressing my frustrations and, you know, just my thoughts around, you know, why why he would be so vulgar and why is he in Uganda? And, you know, I had all these whys as to, you know, and he, and he couldn't really answer that for me. He didn't, he kept telling me, you know, his job contract was ending and, you know, he was only here because he had a business opportunity, which was a, which was pretty much white supremacy. He was able to get a, obtain a business fairly easily. Um, he was, you know, having Ugandans work for him. He was leveraging, um, income opportunities that were going back to support his wealth in Russia, but it wasn't implementing anything in the Ugandan communities. So there, that's partly what I was speaking about earlier about, you know, um, about them coming, you know, here just to take advantage of the resources and the opportunities. Um, but that's the basis of the video, you know, as to, you know, what that was pretty much about and my, you know, my frustrations. Did you want to repeat your question, uh, retired firefighter, so she can answer it now that we all are? Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, I, my question was, uh, have you considered other than other than the the like, person being ignorant? Uh, have you considered that maybe that white person you actually witnessed a white person practicing racism, white supremacy? 
Um, I've witnessed it. Um, yes, I've witnessed it. I see it uh, all the time. I see how, you know, the white parents come to my school. They overlook, you know, the United teachers. They, I've even had a teacher question my credentials. Um, I've had teachers. I've, I've, this hasn't happened to me directly, but I've had another teacher tell me that her, the parent took her child out of her classroom because she said she doesn't want a black teacher. Um, I've had, um, I've just had, I've seen it all. I've seen it, you know, still that dominant white supremacist attitude, you know, even, you know, wherever, wherever you, they are, they just have the feel that they <clears throat> are, you know, at a better advantage and that everybody else is beneath you know, beneath who they are, you know, just like I said, I've been questioned numerous times. Um, I had one guy, he, he couldn't speak to me directly, but I guess another, another lady was introducing me and, you know, she introduced me as this teacher and, um, he said, Oh, she's a teacher, you know? So he was shocked that me as a black woman could actually be an educator, you know? So it was just, I've dealt with, dealt with it all. So yes, I've seen it on several occasions here. that answer your question, uh, retired firefighter? Uh, yes, for the most part. Uh, she didn't, she didn't direct it directly with the, uh, the, the person. Mm -hmm. Uh, but that's good enough because she actually, she made a much more broader, uh, analysis. And, uh, I, I think, uh, that it, that it meant that, uh, that, uh, yes, yeah, she does consider that, uh, that white person or white people are not ignorant. And they, they practice racism, and she observed uh, that as such. Would that be correct, ma'am? Yeah, I don't think that they're ignorant to it. I think that they're very knowledgeable about what they're doing. So, no, I don't think it's like a, okay. you know, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I'm clueless about what it is. Good they're very, very knowledgeable about what they're doing. No, I, I, I'm sorry that I didn't answer your question in the first place, but no, yes, they know. Good enough for me. <laughs> yes, ma'am. No, thank you. <laughs> Appreciate that, retired firefighter. <laughs> uh, the caller at four one three zero four one three zero. Did you have a question for Miss Black Expat? Yes. Yeah, she. Uh... Hello. Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Hi. Um. Thank you, Gus, and thank you to the guest. Um. I just wanted to ask. A little more. Um, I know you mentioned in the incident with your son that it was an Egyptian teacher, and my question was, would you say that Egyptians classify themselves as non-white? Um, do you think that they see themselves as African, or do would you say that the majority of them that you've encountered consider themselves as white? You know, I, that's a good question. Thank you. Thank you for that question. Um, in that in particular environment in the UAE, most of them, to me, they, they classified or identified themselves as white. Um, they, I, don't, I didn't find many of them that would say, I'm, you know, proudly African or consider themselves from the, the continent. Most Egyptians or other, from people from other parts of the world still classify Egypt. They don't even want to even acknowledge that it's on the continent. Um, so, yes, in that context... He was operating as a white man to, you know, obviously feel that he can have an, 
level of authority over my son and feel that it was appropriate to put his hands on him. Um, I still think that they realize that they are not, you know, white, but they do feel that they're better than black people. Like, you know, from sub-Saharan Africans, you know, or black Americans, you know, I just feel that they still think that they are on a, a higher level of class, you know, um, So, yes, I, I think they don't class. I don't I don't consider it. Now, there are some I have met. I'm not saying that, oh, I think that everybody, you know, has a right to, you know, have an individual uh, reference to, you know, they don't have to all. Everybody's classified under that. Um, I have seen Egyptians that, you know, I visit. I visited Egypt a few years ago and I encountered very proud Egyptians who were very um, open about expressing that they you know, were African, they were, you know, that they, that they still identify themselves as such. Um, but the ones in the UAE tend to, um, not as much, um, identify with their African, uh, being identified as an African. Female caller, did that answer your question? Yes. Thank you. For sure. Thank you. We are flexing uh, super international today since we're on so early. Some of our uh, UK listeners could uh, chime in and participate. Uh, Mr. Fox, did you have a question for Miss Black Expat? Greetings, Gus, um, callers, and the guests. Um, some of my questions have been answered, but I have a couple still. Um, in the video regarding the the Ugandan child with the Russian parent, you stated that the father suffered from self-hate. What did you mean by that? Um, I think more because he, I don't know, did I say that he had self-hate or he was hating toward his, his daughter? It was around the three minute, 40, three minute, 45, where you said that he suffered from self-hate and he didn't know himself. Okay, probably because every encounter that I really had with this man was very negative. Um, and everything that he said was um, a, was a, a downgrade about other people, um, you know, other nationalities, uh, the way things were being, you know, functioning around the school. Everything was just negative. And I just find that people who have... Um, a very pessimistic outlook on life in general tend to be unhappy in some way, or, you know, maybe there's something that they're insecure about or they don't, you know, love about themselves. So I think I was probably going along that route when I said he had an issue with, um, he, you know, with self, you know, he didn't love himself because it was, you know, just constant. Everything was just, uh, had a negative, he had a, just a negative energy about him, <clears throat> you know, so, Okay, so you just said that he, um, he he had a negative image of himself and he had no love for himself, so that's why he classed it as self-hate, or he didn't know himself. Um, just the fact, I feel that if somebody is constantly complaining, constantly um, 
having to bring other people down and degrade other people is because it's something that you 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 are insecure with within yourself. So if you feel that you have to bring other people down for you to be lifted up, then you have an issue, whether it's, you know, self-hate, insecurity, whatever. But all of those things have to do involve with, you know, you're not fully, um, you know, loving yourself. You know, so I just I, I just sensed that from him that he was dealing with some personal battles um, within himself um, for him to, you know, have a negative reflection on everything, even from his daughter. You know, he you know, he would bring her to school. He wouldn't comb her hair. He would have her look in any type of way. He didn't want her to know about her Ugandan mom. He would downgrade the Ugandan mom in front of his daughter. You know, all these things. It's like I just felt that, you know, he he either. He just didn't, there was something in, deep in him that either re, was regretful or hateful about who he was. Because any times, like I said before, if they have, somebody has to bring you down, it's something about them that they don't like because that makes them feel better when they bring someone else down. I know it sounds very elementary, but I, I really just sense that about this guy. So when this encounter happened, the encounter in the video, was the daughter present as well? No, actually, during most of our conversations, she wouldn't even be in the room. Um, he would come to me after school and just kind of, you know, walk in my classroom with this very, um, you know, interrogating mode, you know, asking me these questions and just kind of putting me, you know, you know, putting us in these, these situations where we're talking about race relations or you know and I would challenge him about it It got to a certain level where you know I would just start challenging him about things because we had that type of um dialogue but no his daughter was never around um she never she, you know he would always come when she wasn't in, in the area is the mother still on the scene I'm sorry is the mother still on the scene is she still around is she still a part of the child's life you know, um, from what I was hearing from the child, she they would see each other on the weekends. Um, you know, he would allow that, but, you know, he just kept... The, the dad always spoke negatively about allowing the daughter to have a cohesive relationship because last year we had gotten into an argument, not an argument, but a, a bit of a debate on whether or not he should move her to Russia. And I said, that is completely detrimental to this child. She is She, she looks like a black child an African child, she's not going to be accepted and um, acknowledged and treated with respect in a Russian, you know, white society. I said, you can't do that. I said, leave her with the mom. And he completely um, disagreed with me and told me that his, the mom was inadequate and, you know, unable to take care of the child, um, which, you know, in some aspects, maybe that was the case from maybe a financial perspective. But I believe the child um, would have been in a better uh, more adaptive environment by staying in Uganda. Now that child, they're still at the school. They're still in Uganda. Um, of course, she's no longer my student, you know, this year, but um, I do see them from time to time. She looks happy. I haven't asked her about, you know, her relationship with her mom at this point, but, you know, like I said, the last time we spoke, they did see each other typically on the weekends, probably just for a few hours, um, just to have have that dialogue and I actually encourage that I you know I don't think it was happening initially but when I asked about the mom and the relationship with mom I, I encouraged him to start building that relationship and that she needs to have an understanding of her Ugandan side um, 
and having ties with family here because when she gets old enough, she needs to be able to make a decision as to which way she wants to go. You know, does she want to, you know, identify with this Russian, you know, white race or does she identify more with the Ugandan race? You know, most children that don't have both of those um, exposures at an early age, especially those multiracial children, tend to grow up very um, split on what where they where they feel that they feel more, more comfortable. Um, Sorry, how many languages can she speak? Can she speak Russian? Yeah, she spoke Russian fluently. Um, she, I think she understood some Luganda. Um, of course, she spoke English. Um, but I believe she was born and had a couple of years in Russia before they moved to Uganda. I think they'd been, they've been in Uganda for about three or four years now because she's about seven going on eight. Mm-hmm. Can I ask some more questions, Gosso? Is there other people online? Uh, I reckon you can proceed. What is the age of the father? Would you say, what, 40s, 50s? I would say, you know, it's very hard for me. I And I'm not trying to be judgmental, but it's very hard for me to guess, you know, white people's age because they just age differently. But I would say he's probably in his early 50s. Early. Um, and I believe the mom is in her... Um, I, she, I, I'm just assuming because I, she might be in her 30s, um, late 20s, early 30s. Um, I've I've heard different situations about this this family from teachers that you know had this student prior that the father was just looking for a good time, um, and he hooked basically had a hookup and just things happened, and that's how it turned out. But I I don't believe that per se because I believe if things just happened he wouldn't have been full-fledged to take on that much responsibility he has full you know coverage of this child uh, full custody i'm sorry of this child um so yeah but i think he's older i just i just feel like he has that i think i also mentioned in my video that um you know the, the white men in this category the older white men um they have they feel that they may have a bit of a, a dominance over the um, Ugandan women. And I, I've seen quite a bit of Ugandan young women um, sleeping around with older white men, um, whether it's for money or whatever, but the white men are using them for sex and the women are getting money, you know, money out of it. So you still have the low key prostitution um, going on. And that might've been that case. I don't know. Um, but either way, he's, you know, very co- committed to this girl, but just with the wrong attitude. You know, I just don't like the fact that, of him implying his white supremacist attitude on this black identifi- identified black child. Because if you look at her, you wouldn't think that she had any type of Russian roots to to her. You know, she she would identify as a black child. Because if he takes it to Russia, she's going to struggle in a bad way. Exactly. And, you know, he was actually leaning toward taking her because he kept just expressing his frustrations about living in Uganda and how backwards it is. And there's, you know, no infrastructure and just, you know, the Ugandans are very ignorant. Like he just kept going on and on about his his um, his hatred, you know, toward being here and that he, he kept saying, I'm going to take her with me. And I, I just I felt so bad for that child. I said, there's just no way because people there are 10 times worse than you probably. And, you know, this child is going to suffer horribly. Because mm. I do find the um, the Eastern Europeans, the, um, the Slavic people, I just think they're the, the most unrefined white people you'll ever come across. 
um, in terms of, you know, just being blatantly racist or what you, exactly what are you? Um, yeah, more, I said it more as in, as in a statement, but um, I have been to the Eastern Europe and um, if they don't let you know how they feel about you via body language, they will just say it. Oh, yes, actually, you know, my son's teacher is from uh, oh, Bulgaria, I believe, um, and she, I shared with her my story when I um, initially met her and, you know, told her that she knew I was, you know, from the States and that I'm a single mom and all those things, and she completely judged me and my son um, at, at the insight and, and has, you know, just came off in that way of, you know, her body language and just, you know, how she she communicates to me about him and his progress. And, you know, naturally from whatever she's researched about black American boys, that they have low attention focus or, um, they, you know, have ADHD or behavioral problems. She always prefaces our conversations with, you know, he's not really focused or this and that. You know, so that's how it was initially. And then I had to completely shut her down. Um, and now that she sees how my son's performance is and, you know, that he's that he is not whatever idea that you had put in your mind, you know, but they do tend to have that um, from from what I've seen from her, that that attitude that they uh, that they don't like you, that they'll, they'll show it through their verbal or body language. Yeah, that's correct. Zero filters. Yeah, that's all my questions. Thank you. Right on. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. With the uh, <clears throat> with the situation with uh, this white supremacist Russian male and this Ugandan black female, where it seems like there's a considerable age difference as well, uh, do you think just Using logic, your assessment, do you think it would be most accurate to describe this uh, arrangement, tragic arrangement, if ever that term was appropriate? Do you think it would be most accurate to describe this as a situation that is uh, mutually exploitative, where this white man is taking advantage of this young black female who's, you know, certainly less powerful than he is and in need of resources, perhaps? Uh, he's taking advantage of her sexually. She's taking advantage of him, maybe seeing what she can get uh, in terms of resources uh, out of all this. They're both kind of exploiting each other in different ways. Or do you think it would be, logically speaking, most accurate to say that this is a situation where this racist white male is practicing racism and taking advantage of this black female who's in a weak position uh, and even sexually exploiting her? Which do you think would be most accurate uh, to describe the situation logically? I think logically the latter would be most accurate. Um, I don't think it was like a love connection. I think it was just literally for him to get to have, you know, to dominate her through sexual um, through a sexual relation, to have that level of control over her, um, to feel needed and to feel that, you know, I've you need me to survive type attitude and then I can control your livelihood, you know, because I hold your whole world in my hands. You need me to survive that kind of attitude. Um, so I don't, I, and I don't know if she logically realized what she was getting herself into, um, whether she thought it was, you know, this, this man was going to love me and, you know, we were going to have this life together or is this, um, 
you know, is this man taking advantage? And it was obviously the latter. Um, and now she's probably feeling obligated in some sense because they have a child together or feeling dependent on in some way um, because he's probably provided for her um, one way or the next through other obligations, you know, if we continue this sexual relationship, then, okay, yes, I will give you X, Y, and Z to help you, you know, buy food or whatever else that you need. But, yeah, I, I think that's what happened, honestly. I just, I don't know anybody in their right mind that would want to be with this particular man. I mean, I, I don't know, but I know a lot of Ugandan women. I don't, I, I'm, I'm sorry, let me take that back. I don't want to say a lot, but I've seen Ugandan young girls with these older white men and I, I feel bad for them I think because they feel that there was something there they they felt okay maybe he loves me or he wants me or he you know he's going to marry me or you know be there for me and give me this child you know and then it turns out to be that he just used you for sex and that now that you're so dependent on him that you've lost who you were um, and lost control of um, what you're capable of, capable of doing because you're so dependent on this man and you put him above everything because you know maybe because he's white or you know you think his dollar is going to stretch longer or I don't know but I, I've seen it yes yeah, so hmm. I think logically yes that he just is using her wow he just used um. her for sex <laughs> But the women, I don't know, you know, honestly, though, because I, I, I really don't know. Now, that's the situation. But I have seen other situations where there are Ugandan women. I do think that they realize that they are just having this guy just wants to have a sexual relation and they're getting the money out of it. So, I mean, I think it can go just honestly both ways. But this this one situa- isolated situation with my student, I, I do believe that she thought it was something more and, you know, maybe even because she went as far as having, you know, getting pregnant with his child um, and then later finding out that it was just this um, use and abuse type white supremacist um, relation relationship. Hmm. Okay. Uh, at least for me, uh, the fact that uh, in this situation, uh, this Russian white man or any of these other, if you want to kind of broaden the spectrum a little bit, um, these many white men and white women who come over and are doing this, uh, engaging in sexual activity with these black people all over the continent, in my view, the fact that their grandpappies and grandmothers and aunts and uncles and great-grandfathers and great-grandmothers uh, are responsible for these black people directly or indirectly being in the situation that they're in, where they might need these resources, that greatly weighs on my assessment of these arrangements, regardless of how much the black person knows or doesn't know uh, about this whole situation and the power dynamics and, and white supremacy as a global system. Uh, the fact that whites are to blame for why things are the way they are on the continent, in my view, whites are most to blame for why that is that weighs heavily on how I evaluate everything that happens, particularly as it relates to how white people and non-white people, black people particularly, are functioning uh, together anywhere in the world. Hopefully that makes uh, makes sense for listeners. I did want to echo the, the black firefighters comment about uh, courage because I had that word specifically in my notes. Uh, the courage for a single black mother to go out by yourself. You, you know, didn't have an entourage uh, with you or what have you to go out and, and do this and travel and teach and explore the world just, you know, because of your spirit and being curious. Um, that's something we talk about on this program before and how you inspire courage, how you cultivate courage, the importance of, of being a courageous black person. Uh, just can you speak to that? Do you 
think that that's something that has uh, showed some courage on your part to go out and do this and, and then to bring your son along after you got settled as well? Mm, absolutely. Um, everything, every aspect, I, I call it more of a step out on faith because, you know, a lot of this has been a just a completely blind walk. You know, I don't know what I didn't know what I was really getting myself into um, and, and just having the courage to just go take that step to just do it for one. And then the courage to get through all the obstacles and the challenges, um, the cultural differences, the um but just everything else that comes with the old, the overall experience. So I would definitely say it has taken, it has, it is courage. I, you know, it takes a lot um, to be able to, to, to do it. But at the same time, um, well, you know, we have to be real with ourselves. I'm, I'm coming to a point in my journey where I have, you know, had a really good taste of what it, this life is like living abroad. Um, I've enjoyed every aspect of it, you know, whether it's negative or positive, it's taught me so much about myself and about life. I've become a completely out of my shell, out of my comfort zone. Um, but I'm getting to a point where I feel that I need to take a step back and may need to rekindle some ties back home with family members. Um, I just feel like, you know, I'm just I'm just feeling that that's kind of where I am in my journey right now. Um, so sometimes we just have to be open and honest with ourselves. Yes, it takes a lot of courage, but you know sometimes we just need that. We need those relationships. We need that support. We need that help. Um, we need that reconnection. We need the stability. You know things that we may not be able to find on the journey overseas because it comes with so many complexities that we are steady trying to find our way and that all of that takes courage, you know, to even just say that I can, you know, try something new, go into a different country, not know a soul and make it, you know. Um, And I I think that anybody listening that is interested in doing this, um, you know, go for it, but just really, really research what you're getting yourself into and just, um, and just have a and, and really acknowledge yourself, your inner self on why you're doing it in the first place. You know, it's definitely not a journey for everybody. Um, but I will say it is a life changing journey. And if it's something that you decide to do, um, it's, it's very worthwhile. Um, and just, you know, just be ready for a lot of life changing experiences. Hmm. With. Um with the politics specifically in Uganda, definitely appreciate that answer. And, and again, just to echo what retired firefighter said, cause I think that is uh outstanding illustration of uh, black self-respect uh, and courage to go out and, and to do that, uh, to travel alone uh, in a big world dominated by white supremacy as a black mother, outstanding. Um, but just with local uh, Uganda politics, and we don't want to take up your whole evening, uh, but I know we in the States have been seeing where not just in Uganda, on the entire continent, they've been talking about gay rights and LGBT issues. Uh, this has come up in Uganda specifically, and uh, people in the U.S., uh, in my view, racist suspects, uh, have kind of admonished uh, black people on the continent and elsewhere about being homophobic, and you need to do more to push uh, gay rights forward. And they were talking about a march that was called off in Uganda earlier uh, this summer for threats that there might have been uh, anti-LGBT uh, violence uh, or protesters. Uh, have you followed that issue at all? Have you seen that in the time that you've been there? No, I, I haven't seen at, at this particular, um, 
I think you were just saying, you know, whatever this was over the summer that, you know, I didn't, I wasn't here to witness that. Um, but I know that Uganda um, is a very, you know, anti they don't. They don't. They don't acknowledge the. You know the gay uh, community. Um, it's not. You know acknowledged and respected. So people don't. They're not very open with that. You know that's the lifestyle that you decide to live. Um, it's. It's not. It's not. It's not uh, respected here. I guess that's the best way for me to say it. Um, but I don't really follow it. I'll be honest with you. I can't really give you much um, of my uh, uh, insight because I don't follow it. I mean, these are just things that I know about living here and just how um, the society is as a whole. They're very conservative um, in in, in respects to um, general, you know, just lifestyle. So, you know, having, you know, lesbian or gay, you know, relationships is, is just not, it's just frowned upon. It's looked at as just completely, you know, unacceptable. Got it. Got it. It's uh, this was in your area, Kampala. Exactly. I had to go back to look to just get the details, but this was in August. No. Yeah. Well, it depends. I was in the states from the end of June to the end of August, so I probably missed it. (laughs) And at the time, I came back in August. My son was with me, and I was scrambling around, getting ready for school, and getting him settled and acclimated. So, more than likely. a lot of things that happen in the in the actual city, um, I may I may have missed, or I may have not even been here. You know, I don't know what the date of this of this event was. In what August, was the date? Uh, August the eleventh. August the eleventh. Oh, okay. You know what? I actually I think I didn't get back until that week. That whatever that weekend. I left the States on the 10th, so I probably didn't get there till about the 12th. So it was around that. It takes, with the jet, with the um, flight over, you know, the flight delays, it takes me about two days. And then with the time difference. So I was just missing it. You know, I didn't know anything about it. No. Wow. Okay. Um, I'll send you the report. You can check it out. Uh, the Yeah, definitely. The uh, last question I wanted to get in. Um, we have had some people who've articulated the view basically that African-Americans, black people born here in the States, have a totally different experience, uh, that black people, African-Americans have been here in North America for a long, long time, and a lot of that history has been erased, a lot of that history is before slavery, uh, and we don't need to find anything on the continent, that uh, Africans do not see themselves as being connected to black people in the states we have separate problems racism is a problem for all of us but we have separate problems separate issues uh, we're not the same uh, and that we don't need to you know invest a whole lot of time uh, in trying to hook up uh, with these folks who you know are not interested in joining with us anyway that we should just focus on our own issues here in North America and solve racism uh, as best we can in this part of the world uh, what would your response to that be you know, that's a very complex question, but, um, and I'd have to answer that in different parts. Um, just to address the relationships among African Americans and Africans, I just think that it's still a part of that um, 
divide and conquer mentality that white people have implied, you know, naturally within the American school system, we are not educated about our African history nor anything past Martin Luther King. You know, everything is basically just kind of brushed off that there was that we didn't have any prior history. So then therefore, as, a, as children, unless our parents are very conscious and, you know, very, you know, willing to educate us past what the school schools were telling us, we didn't know much about that. So therefore, there was a, that lack of connection. Um and then with what the media puts out there, the media is the biggest devil in this whole situation when you ask about relationships between African and African-Americans because as an African-American, the, what, what we see, unless we dig deep, the, on the forefront, if you see the white-owned media companies, they are always advertising Africa, the continent, or Africans as impoverished or a very low or developing situation. And that um, it's, it's just, we've always thought of that as being a disconnect that that's not a who we are that's not a part of us and on the flip side Africans feel that us as African Americans are you know ignorant or you know we have no culture I hear this all the time no culture we're ignorant um, and don't understand who we are and and where we come from now now that's you know these are on extreme ends I've heard um, and me personally I, I do think that that yes, there is a disconnect. Um, I, I think that's even why I have a, a hard time building relationships with um, with the Ugandan women specifically because you know of the mentality that has been developed about us as African American women, specifically uh, you know how we carry ourselves. You know they're showing the worst images of us being half dressed or you know um, sleeping around or you know just having multiple kids by different men this is just the worst thing that you know that they put out there about us but never show um the edu- you know us being educated or you know successful or, or owning our own businesses or you know having you know happy healthy black families it's always the negative aspect so you know me saying all this to say that it's just yes that's there i think that that the underlying aspect is there now i can't there's plenty, there's a lot of African-Americans that I personally know that still think that um, that Africans are living in some type of hut. Um, I, that's, I know it sounds very ignorant, but I've heard this from people. They make jokes to me, like, you know, where are you living? How are you eating? You know, these types of things. And then I have, um, I know a lot of my conscious friends that are very... Um, you know, very involved in African culture, politics, um, and relationships and building relationships and have done research to try to get more, you know, insight into the, into what our connection really means, you know, and trying to figure out where they stand in this whole dynamic. And on the flip side, you know, Africans who have completely open-armed, welcomed African-Americans as another brother or sister and have um, totally included us in that African diaspora. Um, I just had a, a really good conversation. I wrote a blog post about this. I was in Rwanda a few days, a weeks ago, and I really had a good conversation with a young lady. Um, and she, you know, she wanted to know where I was from and everything. And I just knew that we were going to have this she was going to give me the once over I up and down, you know, when I told her I was from the States, you know, here we go. Another black American chick, you know, 
and that was completely, you know, not the attitude that she gave me. And we just started talking and she just basically said that we are all African, you know, we're this, we are African people. We, you know, we're together and I identify myself as such. Yes, I, I know we have different cultures, you know, my African brothers and sisters in Uganda had a completely different experience growing up here. And I, I had a completely different experience there, but we still have a connection. I believe strongly that there is still um, that connection that I think that if more of us could acknowledge that, um, then we would have more peaceful relationships and more meaningful and productive relationships. And, um, and But also respecting the fact that we do come from different places and to respect each other's culture as well and not to de- demean or diminish that culture. Because, yes, African-Americans have a culture that may be a different aspect of an African living on the continent growing up, born and raised. So um, as long as we can openly respect those views and, you know, and cultural differences and then but still come together and integrate in a productive um, manner, then I think that we can really make something positive and, and, and about building back our our communities Con- across the globe. <laughs> mm-hmm. Context of white supremacy, the address again, MissBlackExpat.com. Uh, if you go to the website, uh, you'll see uh, pictures. Uh, you will see confirmation, uh, as I stated, the lovely uh, Miss Black Expat. And then you'll also see the link for her YouTube channel, uh, her blog post. Uh, it's got uh, different subheadings. You can check out some of the different titles, subjects that she writes about, racial injustice being the top subtitle, uh, and then traveling reviews, teaching rants, raising a black boy abroad, life on the continent, great information you can just kind of track uh where she is and what she's up to uh ask questions she's very responsive people if you post questions on her youtube page or to the different blog posts that we have really enjoyed having you on the program i was super serious uh i i encourage you as much as i can to go out and see if you can get some of these white women who are in these uh tragic arrangements with uh, ugandan males or whites who have adopted abducted uh ugandan children see if you can get an interview put it on your channel we will definitely watch and comment and share uh and then if you can get them also see if they would uh be willing to come hang out on our program because we'd love to ask them some questions as well but i just wish you your son your family uh the best keep up your outstanding work and i'm really glad particularly with the storm and everything you were such a trooper and so patient with your time just thank you so much for hanging out with us it was great uh to hear from you Yes, that's, it was uh, such an honor um, to be a part of your show this evening, Thank or my evening, your morning, but I really appreciate you. Um, I, I, f- I feel honored that you selected me um, to be a guest on your program and to allow me to share my experiences and insight with your guests. And um, I will definitely do my best to reach out to those individuals and, and to um, and see what information that I can I can get for you. For sure, for sure. Miss Miss BlackExpat.com. Go to the website, check out the YouTube channel, leave a comment, uh, let her know you heard her uh, on the cows and uh, support the effort. Uh, enjoy the rest of your, I guess for you it's Wednesday evening. Uh, enjoy the rest of your week and uh, we'll definitely be speaking with you down the road. Enjoy uh, the rest of your evening. Thank you so much and you enjoy your day. Thank you and be blessed. Thank you, you too. Take All care. right, thank you. Okay, <laughs> you too. Good evening. Context of white supremacy. Wow, we make sure I get my my time state in. I'm no fan of the early programs. It uh, just 
Uh, it's not quite 12.30 p.m. Pacific time uh, today, Wednesday, November 2nd. I'm no fan of the uh, early broadcast. Uh, we started at 10 a.m. Pacific time today. Two thumbs down. <laughs> I just I told a listener um, days ago if I had my druthers and I didn't think I would totally obliterate our uh, East Coast listening faithful, uh, our program would start at like... 10 p.m. Pacific time. <laughs> that would be like, uh, I think like one in the morning, uh, East coast time, but we would start really late. I am a night person and I do not do mornings at all. Uh, but you know, uh, getting folks in, I think it's so important to, to talk to, to talk to black people in particular, non-white people on the whole, and even whites from different parts of the world, just to see the global dynamics of white supremacy, racism. I think that's so important that I'm willing to uh, sacrifice a morning to, uh, to have conversation. I hope it was constructive. And for the people that listen to the archives, man, you wish you could have tuned in. I think, uh, I guess two quick comments that I would make definition for racism. I'm so glad uh, we had a caller who pointed that out over the weekend on our compensatory call in having a definition for racism. It is imperative. Uh, and I would say that the, the sexual dynamic that I think it's really impossible, uh, to grasp the incorrectness of sexual intercourse between racists and victims if you don't have an accurate definition of racism, uh, I've said that for years, that's one of those things that I think comes way down the road. Uh, as your understanding of white supremacy, racism evolves, then you get it. Then the logic makes sense of what is incorrect about these arrangements. But definition, definition, I did. I thought the dynamics were super important, but just that's something that I think is very important to keep in mind. And why I say consistently, if I'm talking to somebody and I see that they don't have just basics definition of racism. I don't look to get to more advanced things about, you know, why no sex between whites, non-whites, why that is counter racist logic. Uh, the other thing I thought was uh, significant, just global. When you see the same types of power dynamics globally, um, just Many of the things, the colorism that she touched on, fear of whites, uh, us looking up, wanting white validation, us being white identified, just the litany of things that she pointed to uh, just seem to be replicated worldwide in the system of white supremacy. Things like that, I think, are important to to grasp the enormity of the problem and to begin to see that these whites are not ignorant. They're coordinated. They're not ignorant. They're coordinated. They're doing the same basic types of things worldwide. That's when I think you can we can really refine our codification when we begin. I think the metaphor that I've heard used is a lot of times we talk about racism uh, and we kind of have a uh, on the ground view. It's very different when you can start to pull up and get the bird's eye view, when you can get the the 10,000 foot view and then you can pull up, you can pull back even more and get like the 100,000 foot view to really get a grasp to put things in perspective. I think that's what traveling and or talking to people around the world. I think that's what that can do to your understanding of racism, that and having a historical context for how you view things. Moving forward, 
Uh, if folks have commentary they would like to share, uh, what they heard from the program today, uh, feel free. I just want to get in. We will be here tomorrow back to the regular time, regular time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, Workplace Racism. That's tomorrow, Thursday, normal broadcast. And then Friday, our second session on Lothrop Stoddard. The Rising Tide of Color Against White World Supremacy. Uh, normal time. Uh, this is our second session we just started. So if you missed last week, you can go in the archives, hear the first session, and be ready to roll. Incidentally, if folks are looking for any extra credit work on that, uh, I got a PDF uh, of the transcribed debate between Lothrop Stoddard and W.E.B. Dubois. Now, this happened very early uh, in the 20th century, 1900s, uh, where they did uh, this debate, Lothrop Stoddard, W.E.B. Dubois, and the subject of the debate was, shall the Negro be encouraged to seek cultural equality? This took place in March of 1929. I have the PDF I can share. It's not very long. It's like... uh, like 20 pages basically Uh, so if you want to read it we can include that as we discuss rising tide of color just let me know I'm going to upload it to a link that I can easily share and then I'll just put it on Facebook I'll put it on Twitter I might even link it in the description for the episode so you can just download it and then we can it's like I said it's short so if you want to read it and add that I just thought that is amazing I didn't even know that these two figures debated much less that it's transcribed so you can go back and see what they said I think that is fascinating and in particular I think this is the type of study Dr. Francis Cress Welsing would want us to carry out as we read this text right on uh, if folks have uh, any comments they would like to share, uh, I think we still have our international audience with us. Uh, Mr. Fox in the UK, uh, our caller at 0325, retired firefighter, uh, and the female caller at 4130. If any of you all had comments that you wanted to share, uh, feel free. Any observations from what you heard from Miss Black Expat joining us live from Uganda? Yeah, we heard. Yes, sir. Yeah, I uh, I think it was an excellent show. Really good. She gave really great constructive information. Um, I think uh, a lot of stuff she said was really um, on point with the previous uh, information that we had received from um, other shows and other, like the international callers and things of that nature. I really did appreciate her um, information on um, people, on these, these uh, white women uh, coming to Uganda, marrying the white, marrying the black males, and and, and praying on praying on them and stuff. I really did appreciate that information. That was really good, constructive information. Um, uh, I do, I did want to make a comment though about the fact that it does seem to me that you know when it comes to uh, black females, even after they start to understand, um, you know, racism a little bit, you know, a little bit, you know, they start understanding the system they still have an issue with trying to break away from, uh, I don't want to say feminists, but like they don't want to admit that white women are, I guess, as bad racist as white males, you know? And so sometimes it kind of, they kind of tend to almost, it sounds almost like they're almost defending white women, uh, you know, and, you know, and I've, I've been trying to, 
think of a way in which how to conversate with black females and trying to, because in my conversation with them, you know, I, I found that they, they, they don't really understand that white females, you know, are, are racist. I mean, they think of white male power structure, but not white, you know, white women. And, uh, you know, if, if anyone on the call has, has any uh, uh, um, uh, tips on how to actually uh, better, um, you know, help black females to understand that uh, white, white women um, are racist, too, and practice racism as well, um, if not more so, and maybe even, you know, <laughs> more effectively than white males. And I'll meet my line. Thank you for Thank you for, Gus, for having this uh, early, early show. I appreciate it. And. And thanks for having the guests. It was great. Glad you were able to chime in, sir. Uh, I would just say it's been my experience that uh, it is not anything that is restricted to black females. I personally know a lot of black males who also have a tendency to leave out or minimize the role of racist woman in maintaining uh, the empire of terrorism. Uh, some of the suggestions that I have uh, resist or call out when people talk about racism and say the problem is the man or the white man or the white man is going to do this resist that and include white man, white woman I would racist man, racist woman, racist child to make sure that she is not left out and that we're not exclusively uh, focusing on racism or suggesting that racism is just a problem with white men point out examples when white women are the ones who are practicing racism or who are also equally involved in acts of racism. That's something I try to do as well. Uh, they just had the situation with Cynthia Lit uh, Whitlatch uh, here in uh, Washington, where this was a white female police officer, no less, uh, who terrorized a black male senior, I believe he was in his 70s, uh, where he has his civil lawsuit uh, against her and the Seattle Police Department that's going on right now, where she had called black people nigger on her social media feed, amongst other things. Uh, the case that happened down in Florida where the white female teacher was calling uh, First Lady Michelle Obama a gorilla and uh, those sort of just as many examples as you can of white women where they are the ones. Uh, so people can't just consistently and kind of in a cliche manner blame white males. I think that also is uh, very helpful. Uh, and again, just fundamentals of what it means to be a white person. I think that helps too. Uh, other people that we haven't heard from, did you have comments or responses you wanted to add? Sorry, just to uh, We'll never a female caller first. Hi, um, I just wanted to comment towards uh, the statement about white women and um, non-white women. And I believe um, my mother is white. I am mixed race. Um, and I would agree that black women do tend to... Um, give white women the benefit of the doubt. Um, a lot of my father, who is white, um, I mean, who is black, excuse me, um, a lot of his, a lot of the female um, family members of his consider or make statements regarding my mother as, oh, um, she's really black on the inside because my mother adopted certain um, certain traits of black culture so she was able to uh, effectively infiltrate <laughs> um, my father's family. Um, but I've, I strongly, strongly believe that the definition of racism is what 
is causing the biggest confusion. Um, before I became a listener of Cal's, I was confused myself, obviously, being raised mostly by um, a white mother. She separated from my dad and kept us away from him as most as possible. Um, and I believe that it was the definition of racism that made me realize and reflect back on my childhood. And um, now that I can think about it and now that I have a true definition, I can say that every single day of my life, my mother practiced white supremacy against me. And I'll beat my life. Wowee. Fascinating. No folks will be giddy about hearing more details from that. Um, I did want to point out, because you, you echoed the previous caller's point about the black females being duped, it would seem that your uh, race soldier of a mother also duped your black father, yes? Absolutely. Um, now that I have a definition of racism, I definitely agree that uh, diluting the black man's seed is a direct act of white supremacy. Hmm. Fascinating. Fascinating. Uh, we will, I guess, go in order. Uh, uh, Mr. Fox, since he's our international caller, uh, did you have commentary you wanted to add, sir? I did, but I've actually uh, forgot what I was going to say now, so you might have to come to me later if you can. We will swing back around to you. I'm sure it'll it'll come back to you. Uh, the other person that was going to comment, was that retired firefighter? Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, I think, uh, can I be heard? Yes, sir. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, uh, to that, to the question, I was just thinking, uh, that, uh, the general direct violence perception, uh, may make a difference and, and I put I put uh asterisk on uh uh perception that uh you know white females don't uh engage as much as white males in direct violence. Uh the the use of direct violence in order to uh, uh maintain the global system of race and white supremacy. Uh that that may so to speak uh provide a confusing uh, perception to non-white black females, although there are some uh, vicious and uh, vicious uh, white females uh, that I'm, I'm pretty sure a lot of people on this program can come up with, but from the, the difference of, of from a long historical standpoint, uh, they kind of like sat in the background and, and gained the advantage of the direct violence that their white male counterpart has. But nevertheless, they were the first teachers. They the one. They, they were the ones who taught taught the male the strategy, uh, that sort of thing, so to speak. Uh, is 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 one of the reasons why. It's not the whole, the whole reason why, but it's one of the reasons why I think. I think the program was uh, uh, pretty informative. I also thought the uh, the guests uh, 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 did uh, also humble herself uh, and uh, listen. Uh, based on uh, the logic that was uh, that was transferred or shared with her, uh, I really appreciate that. Uh, when a person, when two, when non-white people, especially non-white black people, are talking, and a non-white black person says or asks a question that that is logical 
and the instead of the uh, the other non-white black person just saying, I disagree just to be disagreeable. Uh, they actually think about it, and, and she actually did that uh, at, countless, uh, at least two or three times that I noticed in the program, and I, I applaud her on that. Uh, and I think it was a good program in that, in that way also. Thank you. Humility is a real important and understated aspect of counter-racism, in my opinion. Hopefully something that is demonstrated on this program regularly, hopefully. Yeah, just, just one important, what I thought was examples when, when uh, you brought up uh, uh, the power dynamic that, that, that uh, makes a difference uh, that only a white person under the global system of white supremacy can practice racism. And she thought about it because it made logical sense to her. And uh, she may have, may have never heard it expressed in that way, but, but uh, she was humble enough to, to, uh, to identify logic. Thank you. Absolutely. Real, uh, real important aspect as well. Uh, Mr. Fox, did your thought come back to you or you need a little bit more time? Um, no, I'd just like to say, we was a, I would have to agree with the firefighter, it was a really um, good broadcast and I hope she does actually do these um, interviews with the, um, with the white ladies in tragic arrangements with um, Ugandan locals. Um, uh, regarding the, the white women and how we always fail to see them as being just as racist as white males, especially when it comes to tragic arraignments and the white females being accepted into the black families, a lot of the time, well, all the time, being in the UK, a lot of them get passes and they just automatically get brought into the family, zero suspicion. They're just... Um, they're given a lot of leeway as well, but we always fail to see them as just as bad as um, as white males. It's like, to use a metaphor, it's like a male lion and a lioness, they're both deadly, but we always see the, as in this term, the white woman being the lioness, we always see her as being a kitty cat when we actually see the white male as being the, the, the most dangerous threat when really that both is dangerous as each other and work together. Sorry to use a metaphor, but that's how I see it. I'll mute my line. Absolutely. Again, and that, that's why I think it's so important in terms of pointing out real-life illustrations when whites are practicing racism and to point it out as such correct terms. So we're not saying that they were being ignorant or stupid that no, this white person was practicing racism and even picking out historical patterns where white women have practiced racism. Uh, Margaret Sanger, uh, we can pick out uh, authentic uh, historical figures uh, and even, you know, worldwide in the broader scope, uh, Margaret Thatcher, since we got UK representation on picking out, you know, major ways that white women have contributed to the global war effort uh, of white supremacy. I think that's a big help uh, as well, where they're not just confined 
to the margins to come out and, you know, cry on cue uh, and point an accusing finger at a raping nigger that they do 70 percent. Now, she did. I did think that was uh, significant because she said in her school system over there, particularly as you get into the upper levels, that it seems like it's mostly white males. Now, that is, you know, quite a difference from the states and other areas where it's mostly white women who are doing the damage in uh, public schools, public school systems. But uh, they uh, are extre- integral component to the global system of white domination. I'll put it that way. Uh, other folks have comments they were going to get in? Sorry, can I just add one more thing? Yes, sir. Um, this is similarities with the white women going over to Uganda in the 21st century and then early in the 19th century when we actually go back to the autobiography of Malcolm X there was a part in that where he states where obviously this is the height of segregation, but still there was a, the Polish section of the town where he was from in the South, where at a certain time of night, the Polish women would come over to the black side of town. I can't remember what part that was in the book, but I remember it from the audio section, but that still goes on. Still, if it's in the early 19th century to the 21st of um, so to the 21st century, but that's still that same dynamic is still there. Absolutely. I think that might have been when he was in uh, the Michigan area in Lansing. I could be mm-hmm. in error, but if that was the early portion of the book, I'm thinking that might be Michigan. He was describing where they would come to the black part of town and, you know, do a little uh, slum dwelling and then, you know, go back to practicing racism the next day. That's, you know, pretty standard operating procedure worldwide it has been for a long time uh i was almost on the verge and i was going to say this while she was here i was not uh waiting for the guest to depart so then i could make my comment uh but she amended her statement to the last question about you know would it be more accurate to say that the black male that this was a mutual mutual exploitation uh, where the black female was, you know, getting some money from this white Russian and the white Russian was exploiting a, you know, no good African female that he despised anyway. Uh, she said, no, she thought it was exploitation when she amended her response. I was almost going to say that it's her responses sounded a little different when it was the Ugandan females with white men as opposed to white women with Ugandan males. I was almost going to ask her about that to see if I was just hearing things or a little off. It seemed like there was a little, uh, at least initially, it seemed like there was a little less sympathy for the Ugandan males who were involved in this, but then she kind of amended her statement. So it sounded a bit more, uh, symmetrical. Um, then am I, am I talking crazy? Did anybody else get that sense or am I just, I might've, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I got that sense. That's 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 the that's the reason why I made my comment about that. Not not like I said, not I wasn't necessarily picking on um women per se, but um, I think that tendency happens to kind of be there. Not not that it's like like I think I think the retired fighter fighter is spot on with the fact that males, you know, practice like a violence, like it's really violent. And it's you know, and, and, and women I think women can see that violence, but when it's women and what Mr. Fox said with the lioness thing I think that 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 plays into it, and and Gus, thanks for you know giving some tips on you know just trying to um you know uh 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 point out that you know there are different these different situations where the white women in the news and things of that nature have uh you know exactly. But you but you but you're right. I I you were not um you're not you were not um imagining that. I I, I do think that was right. Hmm. 
even programs, I guess I could pick out as well, where we focus more on the role that white women have played. I think some of the earlier programs that we did uh, this year, Melissa Stein, that's one where she talked about the role of white women uh, in lynching and earlier areas, eras. Uh, of white supremacy, supporting the eugenics movement uh, and other draconian measure- measures to keep black people in check. Like, I think just that's so just pulling out the historical record and right now ways that white women are involved in things that they do to practice racism. I think that's huge. But anybody else want to respond to whether or not Gus was just being a little loony with his listening skills and the difference in, in uh, how the tragic arrangements uh, were discussed or anything else folks want to get in before we wrap up? Folks all satisfied? If everybody's good, that is great, too. Hey, Gus? Yes, sir. If the um, female caller is still on the line, I mean, I would like, before you wrap up, I would like there to at least, you know, say a couple of, she said that her, her, her white mother um, practiced um, racism every day of her life. She could just give a couple examples of that. I mean, I think that would be helpful as well. Thanks. See you there. Super popular. Everyone's favorite topic. Ma'am, are you still with us? Yes, I'm still with you guys. Um, one of the uh, more obvious examples, uh, referring to my siblings and I as her little nigglets, um, I'm also the most, um, I am the least melanated of my siblings. There was obvious favor shown towards me uh, for that. There were always comments about how my hair was quote-unquote better than my sisters. Um, another, I think, really significant uh, instance is as an adult, uh, I began to build a relationship with my father, who's a non-white black male, um, and I began to embrace um, my non-white side and uh when that occurred, and I guess once she recognized that, there was a lot of um, just mental mental and verbal abuse, um, especially referencing uh, my relationship with non-black men. Um, there was usually a statement made, oh, well, he, you know, he's not shit just like your father and, you know, certain things like that. Um, schools. I think that she intentionally um, enrolled me in not necessarily failing schools, but schools that were not um, the best. We we lived in a decent area. Um, there was a better funded school in our area. She had the choice of choosing between two. She chose the uh, lesser funded school, I guess you could say. Lots of things are running through my brain, so it's kind of hard for me to shuffle through everything. Um, But I can say that definitely a lack of acknowledgement for uh, health issues of mine. I have asthma. There was very little care or knowledge towards um, my illness given to me. Um, Another thing, withholding information. uh, The only, I guess you could say, 
type of speech that she gave me or the only thing that she taught me as a parent is to how not to conceive. There was no, um, there was no lesson on personal hygiene um, or puberty. Uh, My hair was never done. That was left up to me. Um, I was left alone at home by myself at a very young age. I want to say around eight was when she started leaving me home by myself. Um, I was never allowed to socialize. The, the bulk of it was verbal and mental abuse. Wowee. Wowee. That is pretty detailed uh, for folks. Uh, hopefully, if uh, we are not wasting your time and if you're getting any constructive information, uh, if you are able to dial back in uh, either a workplace. I think you called in for workplace racism last week, correct? Um, yes, I think that was about two weeks ago. Yes, that's correct. Right on. If uh, you have the time, if it's uh, worthy of your time and energy, perhaps in the future you dial back in as you ponder more on it. If you uh, feel like sharing some other uh, reflections uh, from your experience, childhood, things that your mom did, the dynamics of that, I'm sure folks, as I stated, that is folks' favorite by far, favorite area of people activity, hands down. If you think of other things, feel free to share. Uh, even I'm sure if you wanted to write something out, I'm sure a lot of folks would love to read it uh, and comment. Um, I will assume folks are satisfied. Everybody got in everything they needed to say. Spectacular. We will be here tomorrow evening for Workplace Racism, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. If you have questions, comments, suggestions, Gripes, gripes or complaints, feel free to drop an email until justice at gmail.com until justice at gmail.com. Uh, we'll try to respond. We got this program, uh, made it happen, and this didn't even come in to our Gmail account. The guest suggestion, they posted it on Facebook. Uh, we were still able to make it happen. Uh, with that, thanks for the folks who are able to tune in. If you're listening to the archives, uh, drop us an email or what have you. If you have comments on the program, hopefully we can try to get her back on. I'm super hoping she's able to get some of the whites uh, who are either in tragic arrangements or who have abducted uh, Ugandan children. Uh, she can do an interview with them. Great. If she could get them on the program, that would be great as well. Uh, I was even thinking the Russian parent. But anyway, um, yeah, hopefully we can get her back on the program as well. So if you listen to the archives, feel free to drop an email if you have thoughts, observations uh, on the broadcast. Uh, I guess I'll give this will be one listening exercise. Either you can rewind if you're listening to the archives uh, or for people if you have a good memory. I think there was a part where we were talking. Uh, she was talking about white people in general. And she reverted back to the States. Uh, She was going to talk about white people in the States, I thought. And she stopped and she said, I'm rambling. And she stopped her response. And we continued with the program. I was excited at first because when she said uh, she was it seemed like she was making kind of a general statement about her experience based uh, her interactions, her contact with whites. And she was going back to the States, but she stopped. I think that might have been one of those moments where the fear of white people where. I might get in trouble if I say that this is public. It is being recorded. I might want to retract that statement or, you know, before I've even said it, retract it. Uh, You might have to go back in the archives to remember the exact spot I'm talking about. If you recall it, I thought that might have been a moment where the power, the power.
power that whites wield caused her to edit and not say that. And I'm not saying it's nothing wrong with that. I do that. That's the system of white supremacy. I mean, you certainly want to be cough or you want to carefully consider things that you are saying publicly, particularly if it's going to be directly about whites. That's logical. I'm just saying that I thought it was interesting. Uh, if anybody remembers that moment, I didn't think so. But if anybody remembers that moment, that'll be it. Yeah, answer. sorry. Oh, okay. I, I, yeah, I did. Sorry, you. Oh, okay, right on. Uh, did Did you have the same assessment uh, as I did, or did you think something else was happening that she might have been self editing to make sure she didn't get too radical in her critique of white folks? Self editing, but then what you just said now, um, yeah, I think it was um, the fear, and white people do have that because bearing in mind if the wrong people hear this or, you know, see it in some type of way, then, you know, her experience in Uganda could be cut short. Absolutely. And she is a single black mother. So she does have a child to think about uh, as well, going through customs and international flights and all that. But yeah, listening exercise. If you missed that part, you can rewind and listen and, you know, come to your own conclusion. I certainly could be an error. I'm just speculating. That's, uh, what I surmised hearing it one time and making a, a quick judgment that could be an error, but check it out for yourself. Come to your own conclusions. Uh, with that, uh, we will wrap things up. Thanks for the folks who tuned in. We will catch you guys in, uh, I guess it's like 36 hours for Mr. Fox. Uh, it is evening in the UK, uh, close to, uh, 9 PM. Hope you have a great rest of your Wednesday evening, grand Thursday for the rest of folks. Uh, it is still pretty early. Uh, it's just a little afternoon here, so we will see how the rest of uh, Wednesday plays out. Try to be constructive. Uh, we are one week away from the election. I did mean to ask her about the election, but just got bogged down. Uh, one week away from the presidential election. Either way, it will all be over, and I am ecstatic. <laughs> I'm just glad and tired of hearing about all of it, but that'll all be done uh, a week, well, not even a week. Six days. That'll all be done and we can move forward. We'll know what the deal is going to be and we can move forward with our lives. Uh, with that, sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy. Say that consistently. We want to make sure that our behavior at all times reflects the fact that war is being waged against non-white people, particularly black people. And we need to make sure that our brain computers are in optimal condition at all times to make the best decisions, try to keep ourselves as safe as possible, particularly if you're going to be in a vehicle. You never know when today is going to be the day that you bump into Daniel Holtzclaw, Darren Wilson, any of these other race soldiers, white person with a badge or no is dangerous. It can be a life ending encounter in a matter of minutes take it seriously i do not think the record has shown that alcohol cigarettes cannabis or any other narcotics drugs have helped us solve this problem that said creator we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people victims of white supremacy we ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times in all places each and every time we are in contact with another black person it has been time 
replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cow signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, What's your brother. Problem? You're a victim. Man, I'm a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs> Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.